Hello everybody! Happy New Year! One and all, welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles, for the 200th time. I know, I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan. Not just any fantasy today, because today is our 200th episode special. Woo! can you believe it man 200 episodes wow what a journey it has been i was so excited to be here got so much fun stuff planned for today as you could tell from the title but i mean before we get into it i think we really just got to quickly recap and be like reflect on 200 episodes yes let's reflect you see we did a lot of episodes and eventually we came to 200 of them mm-hmm. and now we're here commemorating it. Was that a good reflection? That's Charles? a fantastic reflection. <laughs> Commemorate. It's exactly what happened. Great recap. Um, yeah, we've, we've got some exciting stuff planned. It's like, how do you acknowledge 200 episodes? You know, it's, it's, so much time has gone by. So many books we've discussed. And the question came up like, have we talked about enough books to do a 200 books in 200 in less than 200 minutes kind of discussion and we put a list together Possibly in less than two hours yes so <laughs> you know by the title of this episode how yeah. quickly that's or a, also by the length of this episode how quickly we were actually able to do it right 200 on, reviews in under two hours i would say 200 minutes is way longer than that so oh no if this goes hours. yeah <laughs> if this goes three hours charles uh I mean, that's so, yeah, that's over three hours. Right. So we are going to start the clock and do a lightning fast (laughs) recap of 200 books, most of which, many of which we've talked Mm. about on the show to kind of give you all a sense of just how many books we've talked about over the years and over the episodes and to also celebrate all of these wonderful books and the wonderful world of science fiction and fantasy and, um, as you're listening, uh, keep your ears open for some of these book recommendations. And Don't if- close your ears. <laughs> <laughs> Listen very carefully. Who knows? Yes. Is, is there a 30-second review of a certain book that you do differently? Let us know. If there's ones um, that grab your interest, let us know, because we're going to be talking about a lot. So uh, if you have a little notebook handy or get that <laughs> get that, get that <laughs> list ready to go, Um and I guess we may as well do some of our outro stuff at the top. It's because we've got a lot of books to talk about. So before we get into it, I feel like we should say, you know, thank you all so much for listening mm. over 200 episodes. And I think, you know, I speak for both of us when I say that the best part of doing this beyond getting to talk fantasy with my friend is all of the people we've gotten to meet along the way, all the authors, all the fans, all the other content creators. It's been so much fun watching the show grow from what we used to call shouting into the void, releasing episodes mm. where uh, three people listened and we were two of them. Um, and uh, to, to... I never listened. <laughs> then who was that other person? I, I, <laughs> uh, I know it was you, your mom, and maybe the third person was actually... Someone that we wow. didn't know. Uh-huh. Who's to say? 
That's true. So, you know, we've come a long way since then, and um, we're looking forward to the rest of the year. It's only the beginning. We've got Friends Pitching Fantasy coming up. That's dusting Ooh. off an old classic series, and we're going to be talking about books that we're going to read uh, in the imminent future here. We've got um, Stormlight Archive in the works as well. So a lot of really exciting stuff coming up uh, for the show this year, and I, uh, you know, I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited to get into it too, Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll just say that I second everything Charles is saying about how awesome it's been being able to make 200 episodes and interact with all of you fantastic people along the way, whether you're a person who creates content, whether you're a person who's just listening, whether you're an author, whoever's out there. Uh, we absolutely love you, and it's been such an honor. An honor, indeed. I love you all as well. Um, it, you know, let, let, let's get those five star reviews coming in. Follow us on social media. Uh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, wow. at the FTF Podcast and uh, on Instagram, and put that number one at the end at the FTF Podcast one on uh, on Twitter. And uh, let's let's keep <laughs> the conversation five stars going. To our podcast, mm-hmm. Spotify, <laughs> Apple. Is this the stuff. end of the episode? Nope. Yeah, it's you can rate beginning. us on Spotify. Yeah, it feels wrong. It feels wrong to ask. It them feels to do that wrong, but I think it's important to get point. that in the front because we're about to embark on our own epic journey here. So, with that being said, I've got my pot of tea next to me here. I've got the hmm. book list up. What do you say doing? Shall we do 200 reviews? Yes. In less than two hours, hopefully. I don't know if we're going to do that. I think we can try our best. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get this started. Uh, We're going to start with kind of the order of the books we read on the show. The first series we ever read, Mistborn. Dylan, let's go. Mistborn, what do you got? All right, Mistborn, number one, gate, Mistborn by Brandon Saracen, number one gateway fantasy, if we're just trying to get folks into it, incredible magic system, uh, classic uh, world building from Brandon Saracen, uh, probably the first one, The Final Empire, the strongest in my opinion, uh, Well of Ascension keeps up the quality, and then Hero of Ages has one of the most fantastic conclusions to any series no one wraps things up to a series like brandon sanderson with that sander yep the sander lanch of all sander lanches great twists and reveals and mysteries along the way gateway fantasy for sure king killer chronicles i mean this was kind of like (laughs) our big breakthrough conversation here so much has happened when we discuss these books and you know i finally you dylan finally got me to read them it's one of the best books um that I've read on the show for sure. Patrick Rothfuss is an incredible writer, and Dylan, I know you got a lot to say about this series as well, but I oh, highly yeah. recommend it. Yeah, maybe my favorite series of any period. Uh, the prose is my absolute favorite of anyone writing in the genre. Name of the Wind is possibly my favorite book in period again, mm-hmm. and. The Wise Man's Fear, I also consider a five-star read very clearly. It's just, I think, a very lyrical telling of uh, a legendary story about a guy named Quoth. You know, I love the romantic relationship in it, and 
it's yeah it's awesome talking about it and we have a bunch of episodes going to way more detail that's a must uh, and there's also slower guard yeah slower guard silent things sneak that novella in there tell, talks about ari who mm-hmm. is uh, kind of a uh, whimsical figure in and patrick rothfuss reads the is, audiobook too yes. so it's a little treat there you're not going to want to miss um yes so lord so of the rings i mean fellowship of the ring two towers return of the king the hobbit all those that's you know that counts as four books for anyone that's counting. The, the, that's 11 books now we're talking about here. And, um, or no, not 11 books, 10 books. And uh, guys, this one classic series captured my imagination from a young age, has influenced so much writing since. And even when we revisited it for the show way back when as our third series ever, I just really enjoyed it. And there were moments that were actually kind of exciting and scary and then it's awesome to see just a book that was written so long ago how much of what tolkien created is still a critical part of what's inspiring authors today and that's just a huge feat for any author so obviously love tolkien love lord of the rings yeah granddaddy granddaddy absolutely the first face on the mount rushmore fantasy no doubt about it um so moving on, Dylan, this is one that you kind of brought into the show for us. We had to stop our regularly scheduled reading session to read The Poppy War, book number 11 on our list here, and then The Dragon Republic and The Burning God as the Poppy War series. And what a great modern, fresh, like to compare it to Tolkien is so funny. If Tolkien's deep yeah. classic, Arf Kwong is like the cutting edge modern, and it was really fast paced, really exciting and based on some tough parts of history between Japan and China and World War Two and mm-hmm. and it takes that brutality and it creates some endearing characters, but problematic as well. Endearing. Some, well, well, well yeah. Not endearing, but it's like you like them even though they commit horrible war crimes and it's like you know their story and you see their suffering and it's it makes them empathetic in some ways and it, and it, and it raises some interesting questions i'd say i agree with you it's a fantastic work by rf kwong i think poppy war the first one was my favorite of the three dragon republic gets into even more military fantasy uh and really strong writing and the burning god the conclusion is really i think shocking in a lot of ways uh Mm -hmm. i think we called it uh it's one of those inevitable feeling endings but it still hits you hard and rin is one of our favorite protagonists hard stop one of the most proactive for sure and um, the book just moves at a lightning fast pace and that's all due to rin's um just determination and sheer force of will and that is interesting to watch even as she's um, succeeding or suffering or you know dealing with relationships or dealing a with both. a continental war so all of that is very fascinating um so that moves us to book number 14 emperor's soul this was our first collab on the show with phantology shout out and yeah this is a great short story i mean if you've got a short drive like a four-hour drive or something or if you've got you're just trying to introduce your friend to a the world of fantasy and you want something super low commitment this little short story is a lot of fun and um 
ask the great question of like what is a soul what about a soul makes it that if you can you like recreate it can you define it um can you build one and how would you do that and it's a very interesting story about art and artistic license and uh yeah it was really cool totally agree this is another good intro to sanderson's work it's a novella and it's it's one that feels like it borders the most on capital L literature of of any of Sanderson's work, I think. It deals with these really highbrow themes in a relatively short way for Sanderson, mm-hmm. who loves those. Uh, we call them chihuahua killers, the giant, <laughs> uh, like, thousand-plus-page novels. You got to keep them away from your pet because they're, they're heavy. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, yeah, it's just a really fun story and... It is part of the Cosmere, too, which is interesting. And um, yeah, yeah, highly recommend. Uh, That brings us to book number 15, uh, The Last Wish, Andrei Sapkowski, the first book in the Witcher series. We have all the Witcher books here today. That'll take us to books 15 to 21 here. Um, So we discussed The Last Wish and The Sword of Destiny on this show. And those, I really enjoy those books. They're so much fun. It's like a kind of like a short story anthology that also has an arc that goes across them all and they're all focused on Geralt the Witcher who we all know by now is fantastic video games it's a Netflix series that even has spin-off shows now so huge IP coming from Andrzej Sapkowski and the fact that it's rooted in in like Polish folklore but interpreted in a modern way you know Geralt is this very kind of morally conflicted gray character who has his own identity issues and those first two books the last wish and sort of destiny highly recommend the rest of the series is an actual um saga right an actual um, uh, story it's not short stories it's their novels and they tell this long arc of the witcher and I think, honestly, The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny are Andrzej Sapkowski's best work. I always say that, and I always say start there. It's the intro to the series anyway. And then if you really like it and you really love the games and you want that added context, like, the story's very good. But if you read those and you're like, that was okay, I honestly say it's the best work he has to offer. So you could stop there and be totally fine. And a lot of the TV show pulls from these two short story anthologies as well so um you wouldn't be missing too much going any further so um huge influential work and i'm excited to see what the series is going to do in the future i know there's all it's grabbing headlines like crazy right now so we'll see where it comes out but huge fan of the witcher yeah i did the read the two short story uh anthologies and then I stopped, so mm-hmm. I'm satisfied with that decision. In a world where there's so and, much to read, I think that's right. That's, that's good. Um, and that brings it's, us. I to, didn't fall in love oh, with it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. great book. Great. And I think it suffers story, from the translation from Polish to English as well. There's some weird stuff going on there, um, but you know, it, it's still a really creative uh, series. That brings us to book number 22, Red Sister by uh, Mark Lawrence. First book of the Book of the Ancestor. Mm. We've got all the books in the Book of the Ancestor series. Dylan, why don't you champion this one since this was your recommendation back in the day? Yeah, Red Sister. It's got killer nuns in it, basically, (laughs) as do the rest of the books in this series. Mm -hmm. It's 
my favorite series, I would say, by friend of the show, Mark Lawrence, mm-hmm. who also did Prince of Thorns and stuff like that. We'll get into those. Uh, it It is action-packed. It's got a strong female protagonist in Nona, and it's got these really heartwarming themes as well like things like friendship and the value of that and lawrence explores that in a really cool way i think we even did like an episode called the theme of friendship in red sister or something Mm -hmm. like that that we're lucky enough to have mark listen to and he (laughs) he uh was making jokes about so uh, um he uh, yeah, he does a fantastic job. It's interesting seeing this balance of some of these more like grimdark feeling things with like kids who are ha- have the, these awesome magic powers and are in these really dark situations, as well as the, I guess, like heartwarming stuff that you wouldn't expect from the author of Prince of Thorns, which we'll get into. Some great later. characters. Unrebound. Here. Short story oh, yeah. in between Grey Sister don't and Holy Sister, bound. and that one's Don't Skip Bound, and that one is a lot of fun, actually, I would say. It's not as action-packed, though there's a little bit. There's some uh, interesting yeah, relationship much. Uh, dynamics going on in Bound, and I'd say Nona is yeah. a fantastic character. Even you'll have his class, for whatever reason, sticks with me in my brain to this day more than She's many like of the, the characters. She's like the mastermind working. <laughs> She's like the, the Dumbledore, resident but nothing Tywin like Lannister. Dumbledore. Tywin Lannister, right? It's right, like right. it if Dumbledore had Tywin Lannister's brain, um, but a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into loving classes, but yeah, she's not like yeah <laughs> evil. But she's uh, got that kind of scheming going for yeah. sure. And it's just a book that's Great not books. afraid to be fun. And Mark Lawrence is just that yeah. way too. He just writes fun action pieces. So highly recommend. Yeah, and when it's, especially coming from Prince of Thorns, which is his first work to. Um, um, book of the ancestor which is some of his more contemporary stuff it's like really fun to watch him kind of grow and progress and 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 write new characters so highly recommend and uh that takes us to monstrous we're going to cover the first three volumes and those count as three books so 26 27 28 are monstrous volumes one to three um yeah dylan you i think brought this to the table right and um yeah you know we got to talk about this with our pod on their show as well we did um, and there's a lot to discuss about these books they're really fascinating um marjorie Liu, who's the author and then sana takeda who's the illustrator you know very rarely have we done a graphic novel series on the show and this was an interesting first attempt for us and uh there's a lot of really good conversations to have in here and what was interesting to me is that most of the characters it's like an epic fantasy series but it's a matriarchy and it was very interesting and kind of eye-opening to me to read that where even like supporting characters side characters soldiers predominantly women and um it's done in a really interesting thought-provoking way at least to me and uh, the main character is also awesome it, it very similar to kind of this rin nona kind of character vibe of um you know powerful female warrior who's um like trying to make sense of their relationships and their life and uh in this world that's super dark and super gritty and super violent almost completely hopeless uh, where she manages to find hope and power and 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 reasons to keep going is very thought-provoking right i've always thought of this as being 
a very grimdark world with characters who are almost more epic or even i don't know if heroic is strong for all of them but they the the themes that they work through the characters with it, a lot of it is about hope like you mentioned charles and trying to find a way to i guess not just survive but to try to do the right thing and be moral in a way that you might not see with the more typical grimdark characters so it's a really interesting mix of all sorts of stuff there's like steampunk elements to yep. it as well and uh, the illustrations are unbelievable and so detailed and, well, yeah uh, shout yeah, out to sana takeda those, those who big pictures super the, intricate yeah. detail in the illustrations and the way she uses color mostly it's black and brown and then in certain elements she uses bright color is very interesting and um it must have taken her forever to make these because they're so each page is so beautiful and so meticulously illustrated like the amount of detail on each page is absolutely crazy but it's really that's what makes the series that much more the it's the whole atmosphere of the series and it's very successful in doing that and it's you know for a graphic novel that's half the battle right there so important and Sonic Takeda smashes it out of the park that she does but speaking of smashing things out of the park charles mm-hmm. it looks like we're coming up on the first law series here <laughs> beginning with the blade itself i'll, I'll get into these and uh, okay i'm gonna try to do like each book individually i think that's I fair uh, the blade yeah and this is Maybe our favorite series. Uh, Most influential right on the, the show. Chronicle, biggest milestone. Yes. Got to interview Joe Abercrombie, got which was Joe. true. Yeah. Like so much fantastic stuff with the series. I think we've, you know, got a big good section of people that listen to us that um, found us through Abercrombie and our shared love of Abercrombie. So let's um, let's take this a book at a time here. Why don't you kick us off with our 29th book today, The Blade Itself. All right, the blade itself, it's I think it's where you do have to start for this entire First Law universe, but uh, I would say it's actually the weakest of Abercrombie's uh, work mm-hmm. as it's his first novel. I would still easily give it five stars because they're all five-star reads for me, mm-hmm. but the weakest, the weakest five. And uh, the way that I describe it, it's got incredible characters, incredible dialogue, all these things that we've come to expect from Joe in the in the um, <laughs> not that long time since he's written it because he's still a fresh new voice in the genre, oh, as he assured us mm-hmm. in our <laughs> interview. But the blade itself, it does not really tell a complete story, and uh, not that much really happens in the book. So I would always try to give that warning. I'm like, look, if you love these characters and you enjoy their dialogue, you think it's funny and interesting, it's like, okay, get through this one, but you got to keep going and more things will happen mm-hmm. down the line. And, and even like to say yeah, to ahead, keep Charles. going, like, I mean, it's it's captivating from the beginning like when we meet logan nine fingers when we meet glock abercrombie's yeah. voice and writing style immediately 
stick out, are immediately entertaining, and these characters come to life so fast. And some of the best character work in fantasy, hard stop. So yes, it's like weirdly a short story in terms of plotting, but there's so much to enjoy and love about this one. And um, there's all kinds of fun satirical stuff going on. It's a great, great debut. But like you said, Dylan, definitely... um, uh, you can't judge it by the blade itself alone. You you gotta go through the whole trilogy. There's just so much to love. Yeah, because later on, Abercrombie, as we get into the later books here, he does develop a much stronger skill for telling a complete story in individual books, even within a trilogy. He mm-hmm. does that extremely well in the later books that we'll discuss. Here, these first three are, like, you need to... To get the complete story, you need to read all three or to get a complete story. Mm -hmm. So anyway, next up in those three is Before They Are Hanged. Uh, This one, it's it's really interesting in how uh, uh, parody is too strong, but how it draws from uh, things like The Lord of the Rings and this idea of a fellowship and a quest. Dare we... Subversion is the word I was looking for. Thank you, Charles. Like, uh, it's a great subversion of a lot of these ideas of uh, questing and all of that that we get. We most think of the Lord of the Rings with that, and there's a few moments that even seem to draw directly from uh, the Lord of the Rings and subvert oh, oh, them. Yeah. And it's but in Abercrombie's deft hand and with his totally unique voice, it is just a romp at times while also bringing those uh, those elements of grimdark. And I think when I think of before they are hanged, it's where I really start to see Abercrombie developing his ability to use point of view extremely yes. well, like how different the point of views um, are and in the writing style and in just the way that this character that you're in the view, view of at that moment would see the world and would see the other people around them. So I always think of a few moments that illustrate that so well from before they're hanged and he only gets stronger with it from there. Incredible book. Incredible. And yeah, like you said, this is a masterwork of POV, not only to tell the story and get us involved with the characters, but for humor as well. Um, can agree completely. And this was coming out at a time where Game of Thrones was as big as it ever would be, uh, you know, huge. And then you have this wave of grimdark stuff and subverting stuff. You know, I, I think of even like Mark Lawrence's Prince of Thorns, for example. Game of Thrones was really popular. This series was super popular as well. I think they all kind of fall into that when grimdark was at its peak and Abercrombie like yeah. nailed it completely, nailed that point in time in, in popular fantasy and has only continued to evolve since then for sure while still like staying within the genre. But I mean, this was something that fantasy fans were kind of starved for. It's like, yeah, I got, I know the Lord of the Rings story. I know the Harry Potter story. Like what else you got for me? And Abercrombie delivered huge and, and especially with Before They're Hanged is it's like, the biggest, yeah. one of his boldest statements on that, for sure. And if I'm remembering correctly, Charles, was this our buddy Will Gwynn's number one ranked book? It may have been. Top first law universe worthy books. Choice. Will Gwynn over at the Brothers Gwynn. I mean, it's the uh, wrong who, choice, yeah, but it's a worthy Godwin. choice. <laughs> it's the wrong choice, but 
we I mean, it. when they're all five stars, you can't go too wrong exactly. in how you assort them. But great book. Last Argument of Kings is coming up next, Charles. That's the conclusion of his original First Law trilogy. And here you get to see Joe Abercrombie's master plan come to fruition. And there's just nothing like it in the genre. Mm. I haven't seen anything like it that's come before. I haven't seen anything like it since. And I think this is reading the final book, It's got an ending that is very different from what you might expect Mm -hmm. from uh, your typical fantasy novels, but it's so just uniquely Abercrombie and and for me, perfect. Uh, For you, Charles, it felt a little flat the first read, but you kind of came around on it having read it multiple times since. I will say I was not, you know, expecting the ending that I received. It left me wanting more as well. I'll say that. don't want to get too into it check out our last argument of kings episode if you yeah. if you've read these books so you can hear us get into it because there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had but yeah it's abercrombie has always done this he like for the like you know makes new ground and uh is makes these bold sometimes polarizing choices in his writing that's all i'll say and um it works so well in the world and it it works so well for the characters that um you may not realize what kind of book you're reading and and abercrombie you know when he changes that perspective on you it's it's a magical thing that very few authors can do so um it's really an interesting progression and um it only opens up the world to another set of standalone stories that kind of continue along the path of the first law universe the first one being our 32nd book today best served cold um mm. this is very like tarantino vibes like kill bill vibes to me it's a revenge yes. story it's very action driven it's someone going around getting revenge on a lot of people and killing them in spectacularly bloody ways but you get some really interesting thematic developments here you get to watch character arcs that are not your typical character arcs, I'll say that, um, but they're just mm-hmm. as captivating. I don't won't get more into that, but Dylan, I think you know what I'm. Uh, you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the character work as strong as ever. Best served cold shows Abercrombie's ability to write a full story uh, that it is a standalone uh, that yeah it comes to a satisfying conclusion mm-hmm. in, over the course of one book it is yeah, yeah and abercrombie i think it's underrated how almost uh meditative he can be on these themes that he explores because i think he just can't come at a story in a straightforward way just his personality is gonna come at it a little sideways a yep. little snarky mm-hmm. a little clever very clever mm-hmm. i'll say and it, it, yeah this is a revenge story so abercrombie's gonna think about the revenge story and try to i don't know if he does it i don't think he does this consciously but he's going to end up subverting it a little bit just by and nature of nikomo kaska so. fans rejoice this is some of his oh, best yeah. moments i love it and he's got a line where it's like um i don't even want to say it because it spoils i mean yeah, it spoil things it. but yeah, it's so yeah. funny and it's so good and i love it and uh it's just abercrombie in my eyes is like incredible so great story and that leads us into the heroes which of the standalones might be my personal favorite uh, i will let you take the next one which mm-hmm. is your personal favorite but sure. 
I mean, the heroes, it takes place over three days. It's So it's much um, more confined and much more stripped down in terms of scope and plot than Admiral Crombie's other works. But that just only lets his character work kind of thrive. You get some new perspectives here. You get you get Gorst, right? You get... Um, uh, yeah. You get... Um, so many other fantastic characters who I won't get into too much. I don't want to spoil anything by saying names or people or anything. But uh, I, I will say that this is Abercrombie. When we talk about his POV work, there are some breakthrough moments in his development as an author oh, that yeah. kick off in this book. I mean, he's got a big battle scene with like a million point of views and it's so beautifully written Um and you see how it influences all his later work. You see him really, like, I feel like even from the beginning, he was experimenting with the genre and, and his voice as an author. But we've talked about the first book being, you know, of all his five stars, um, maybe on the lower end. And that's only because he's just learned and improved with every book. And I think the heroes, you see a lot of critical moments in Abercrombie's writing pay off here. And then he just grabs onto these ideas and develops them even more in the age of madness we'll get into but i just love this one so much humor um so much fun i, I don't i want to say so many more characters but i don't want to i don't want to talk about them for people that haven't read the original books yet we're going to keep the spoiler ah, yeah. free but uh so many fun povs in this one that um it's my personal favorite. I think it's a lot of people's favorites, although lots of love for Best Serve Cold too, which I get. But the heroes to me just had some of it of the of these standalones had some of his best work from a writing perspective, and we we see a lot of it um, come you know into full development in the Age of Madness, starting with the heroes. So big fan. Well said, Charles, and we'll, we'll leave it at that and get into Red Country, which is my personal favorite of the standalones. Abercrombie, with these standalones, he did basically try to take a fancy spin to three different kinds of stories that are almost different genres, like Best Served Cold is kind of thriller revenge story, Heroes does military fantasy, and what Red Country brings is a Western. Mm-hmm. And it is... Yeah, such great character work. It's Abercrombie showing that he isn't just stuck in this military grimdark fantasy stuff. I think that a lot of the a lot of the growth as an author shows in how he's he's willing to let go. I want to say certain things (laughs) because of spoilers too. Yeah, Uh, and. It's just, I think, Abercrombie having a lot of fun. You can tell his love for Westerns in this mm-hmm. one. And I just really appreciate it. Uh, it's, I think, the best character work in the three standalones. And I, I, that's one where I really can't get into certain characters. No, yeah. It is the most underrated of the standalones for the reasons you described. I think there's so much of this. Um, the fact that he's that Abercrombie is willing to let go and move on with his world and his characters. It's like if you write a if you write like a hit series like Harry Potter, you you, you don't want to like you know 
age out Harry Potter and write the next person. It's like, no, it's Harry Potter. But, like, yeah, Abercrombie's willing to move on and to progress his world from, yeah, like... Yeah, all these standalones move, like, a decade or so into the future. Right. Um, so to move his world from, like... Cover medieval, totally different characters. Medievalish from the original, hero yeah. fantasy world to now Western world to... Um, Age of Madness, which is like Industrial Revolution world. It's like you have such a hugely popular series. It would be so easy to just write more of what people already have read and liked. But Abercrombie cannot be content to sit idly in his world. And he's always pushing and exploring his characters and his his themes. And um, yeah, fantastic example of that in Red Country. I wish we could say more, but we said a whole lot more on our Red Country episode. So definitely check that out. But Dylan, we can't sleep on sharp ends the short story collection and the world no, of first that Lock. sounds painful that <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> right but the book number 35 today sharp ends it kind of bridges the uh gap between the first law universe and the age of madness which is still first law but set way in the future like a couple generations ahead so this story does a great job of giving us more character work. It picks different points of times, some way before even the blade itself, um, and gives us some background on characters. And it kind of recontextualizes for those that maybe read the original trilogy and didn't realize what kind of book they were reading. They kind of get that delivered a little bit more. It's like, hey, these are the kind of things that we're working on here. And this is kind of the subversion that we're talking about. And just Abercrombie having some unrelenting fun in this one for your audiobook fans even abercrombie makes a cameo to do a little bit of audiobook narration for this so great and we haven't shout out Stephen pace yet i don't know how we haven't done that but one of the best audiobook narrators oh, in yeah. the game all of these books he narrates them all he's incredible of all these books of all the audiobooks i've listened to in this whole list of 200 that Stephen pacey first law number one no contest no contest and that's in a genre with fantastic audiobooks totally sharp ends that's the one people sometimes miss but it does have it does have stories that add to the overall first law universe for sure and we get some point of views we wouldn't have gotten otherwise and next up we've got a little hatred that's the first of abercrombie's the age of madness that's taking Totally new trilogy later on in the uh, chronology of the world. And I think The Age of Madness, you know, it's an even stronger series than the Mm -hmm. original First Law. The characters from the original First Law, there's a couple, especially like Logan and Glockta, that are still my top couple characters. And they're just such, like classic characters mm-hmm. at this point in the genre and they're mm-hmm. the ogs but the the plotting and of course the characters are still extremely strong in these three books but the plotting is uh, so much faster paced i mean that in all the best ways possible oh. and uh, a little hatred he throws you right into it with this one and shows how much uh, better a job he can do of both providing that character work and telling that complete story while still leaving what he needs to leave on the table to tell a complete awesome trilogy. So a little hatred, um, another step forward in Abercrombie's evolution. Well said. I think all the maybe criticisms, I'm using air quotes, that we had for the original trilogy, like Blade itself, particularly from a a narrative plotting standpoint, totally like... 
you know, you know, we're, we're what, like six, seven books later in Abercrombie's like experience as an author. And like you said, Dylan, he's just smashed it out of the park. And in my opinion, our 37th book that we're talking about today, The Trouble with Peace, is like the second yes. in the Age of Madness, is perhaps his best work. And it is a masterpiece of fantasy writing, absolute masterpiece, both from the actual story to the writing abilities of Abercrombie every scene is just it's engaging it's entertaining it's fun and it moves the plot forward and it delivers those narrative plot points and it keeps going and for a second book in a series it feels like the third and there's a lot of reasons why which we'll get into the 39th book but or the 38th book we're talking about today the last the wisdom of crowds but man trouble with peace and Traditionally, you get that second book slump in a trilogy, and I think Abercrombie was aware of this and totally flipped it on its head. And uh, masterful, masterful, masterful work of of fantasy literature here with uh, Trouble with Peace. Everything we talked about, like the lessons that we gleaned from uh, the heroes in Red Country, and like all of these things he's experimenting with with POV and and plot development, he has finally at the end of his Age of Madness trilogy, smashed it out of the park. But there's still one more book to go. And when you've already kind of perfected that traditional arc and you perfected your plotting and your storytelling, where do you take it? And the answer is Wisdom of Crowds, which I don't want to get too into, but for a third book in a trilogy, it turns everything on its head. I will say this, Abercrombie, you know, in our interview with him, was talking about how he studied psychology, a student of psychology, and had a thesis on human mm. failure. And it's like, what happens when humanity is faced with just catastrophic failure? And take that for what you will when you go into Wisdom of Crowds, because it's unlike any third book in a fantasy series I've ever seen. You know, stuff, I almost cursed, gets out of control in this book and it's so fascinating to watch everything just kind of stuff hits the fan stuff hits the fan <laughs> exactly right <laughs> fantastic yeah it's yeah and an exploration of human failure uh, abercrombie's conclusion to the age of madness is anything but and <laughs> it's a triumph <laughs> did you just write that right that's that's good right that's a blurb okay. right there. Fantastic. They should print that on the book. <laughs> Write that down. I know, as, <laughs> Good thing we have this recording. Right? Send that to Abercrombie. Yeah, as if Joe. Yeah, as if Joe wants me on the cover when he can probably get George R. R. Martin again. But <laughs> anyway, let's, <laughs> let's move forward. Let's move. To, that's Abercrombie. We got to move a lot faster now. By the way, Abercrombie was probably like fifteen minutes of yeah. But we, it, we had to take the time. But now we just got to move up. You know, we'll keep things moving here. Book number thirty-nine, Daughter of Flood and Fury, by Levi Jacobs. This, you know, Levi Jacobs was an author, our first author interview ever. Um, Spiffbo finalist Levi Jacobs, Love of course. Levi. Love Levi, and this was the book that got him. To the finals of Spiffbo, Daughter of Flood and Fury. A lot of Mistborn fans, I think, mm. would... Was it? Was it? I think it was actually his book before that had him in oh, the... Yeah, okay. I think that's what had him in the... I misspoke, yeah. but this but one anyway, is certainly on. worthy on, of being a Spiffbo finalist, for sure. Um, it's a first-person narration, um, like, young female protagonist, very proactive and, like, very action-driven. And present tense. Present tense as well, yeah. So it, it really kind of broke the... Um, 
broke kind of the it really stood out in our reading catalog for that alone and he succeeds not an easy way to go about writing a book but because it's so action driven and the character's very like proactive all of those i'm doing this i'm doing that moments are like it complements it very well so love levi yeah fantastic magic system great recommendation for fans of brandon sanderson and levi jacobs did beat brandon sanderson in a game of magic the gathering at one point so yep. if <laughs> if you want to see what someone can do with even greater talent for magic the gathering <laughs> when it comes to applying that to their writing then daughter <laughs> flood and fury by levi jacobs awesome book fantastic guy and first yeah, the tide caller chronicles i think the second one's out too first. so you can check that out um yeah, yeah. The third might be out we gotta catch up but oh, we, we you gotta catch up we also have to speaking of catching up i think we'll make up some ground here yeah because we've got <laughs> right. the wheel of time books number 42 53 that we're talking about right now um starting with the eye of the world we've read a good chunk of these on uh the show kind of took a break and we'll get back to it at some point uh but um i have read them all and i'll just kind of cap the whole thing this is an interesting this when you look at fantasy as a history wheel of time is a very critical pivoting point that gets us from token clones to modern fantasy and i think you see that with eye of the world so easy to identify the parallels between tolkien and and eye of the world so many similarities with characters and plot developments you know the like shire Gollum, dark one ring wraiths like it's all in that book but then it just kind of blossoms into its own thing very early and interesting exploration of a matriarchal power system and like gender plays a role in magic which is a very interesting idea to have especially back in in the 90s of course and uh although a lot of people can look back on it now and and be like oh this not as progressive as we would hope it, it's still we wouldn't be as progressive in fantasy today without the success of something like this i truly believe and this did such a great job of of bringing some new ideas and elements into fantasy hugely creative it is very, very long, as we said. There's a ton of books in this series, so you have to be ready for the long haul. It's, you know, 14 books, but um, and some of them are just a whole book where hardly anything happens, and that's just part of the journey you got to go on because it does end. Ended by Brandon Sanderson, by the way, Robert Jordan tragically passing away, leaving Brandon Sanderson to finish and this was kind of brandon sanderson's breakout opportunity too being able to write the last three books in this story um based on robert jordan's notes and uh, he smashed it out of the park and just in terms of epicness i haven't read a series that felt as epic as this one if only through the sheer volume of things going on in the world and the characters and everything like that it balances that fine line where i'd say maybe malazan is like you need your notes next to you with wheel of time you can go along for the ride and you can see how it influenced people like sanderson to write something like the stormlight archive today so um huge fan of the series worth checking out for sure um the beginning and the end are strong the middle can kind of sag a little bit but um it never stops being fun and creative and fans of epic fantasy will will feel right at home with the wheel of time and now we've got the big show on amazon you know 
in the works. <laughs> it's, uh, I I think it's okay, but um, it, it's brought it back into the limelight, and who knows? Maybe season two will smash it out of the park. You never know. But uh, yeah, it's one to watch. <laughs> that will not. That will not be a blurb for anything. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but maybe season two will smash it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of people would agree right. with me. Well, you that. smashed that review out of the park, Charles. Sorry for anyone who wanted an individual uh, breakdown of each book with the Path of Daggers. Uh, you know, they're all kind of <laughs> combined the, to one story in my brain at this point. I read them. How back could to you? Back oh to back. yeah. <laughs> unless you're a huge. Yeah, I'm just ripping you. I unless you're a huge, huge read it over again Wheel of Time fan. How can you be like? Oh yeah. Book nine, whichever one that is, one, two, three, <laughs> like the winter's heart. It's like, how do you remember all that? And you read them all back to back to back. It's not like you're right, reading right. them as they came out. So right. I can't even with trilogies sometimes remember like which book is. is and we've talked about its like, influences on Game of happen, Thrones but. and Brandon Sanderson. Like they're all, they all started here. Like those kind of characters were all yeah. kind of created and, and kind of the beginning seeds of it were planted here. So if, if you're a fan of the historical progression of fantasy, this is a, you can't miss this one. You cannot miss it. Um, yeah. So but we need to do some historical progression in this episode. <laughs> we sure so do. What's the next book? <laughs> the book Paper Menagerie. Ah, um, nice. Yeah. Paper Menagerie by Ken Liu. We can even do the Paper Menagerie in other stories because I've I've read that entire collection of short stories. Ken Liu, he's the master of the short story. This was the first... Uh, Charles, look this up while I'm talking because okay. it was the first uh, story to win. Like It's Hugo, Nebula, and I can't remember. It's like World Fantasy, but okay. uh, it's the first of like any format of book. Or, I don't know if book's the right word. The Paper Menagerie's form of a, the first of any kind of story to win all three of those awards, I believe. It won the Hugo and Award for Best Short Story just... and the Nebula for Best Short Story. Oh, is it just the first to win both of those? That's interesting. Uh, but see. point being, total masterpiece. It feels like that capital L literature. Ken Liu. Oh, it, will okay, just, it swept the Hugo, Nebula, and, and World Fantasy Awards. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was looking for, and the first to do that. So the Paper Menagerie. It explores in the the short story right there. Uh, it explores these just huge themes of uh, acculturation, it explores racism, it explores uh, just... The mother-son relationship. Mother-son, yeah, sorry. Mother-son relationship, all in the course of about 20 pages, that short story. And if it doesn't make you cry, you are just dead inside no offense charles uh so it was one of the most emotional it is things my number one record yeah uh, but did not make charles cry uh, mm-hmm. because he's never cried from any sort of uh, written word mm-hmm. but he <laughs> except his last credit card bill am i right <laughs> mm-hmm. but he not the holidays yeah, are Lou, very right <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh, Ken Liu absolutely kills it, and the entire book, the short story collection, the Paper Menagerie, and other stories, all the rest of those are incredible as well. His the way that he blends like sci-fi and fantasy, and can kind of uh, cross bridge those gaps. It, 
it's it's really amazing. And that being said, Paper Menagerie, that short story, is my favorite among all of them. And you can find that for free. You just got to Google to find the Paper Menagerie story online. The audiobook is free too, right? Totally legal. Well, not audiobook, but there is um, this... It's LeVar Burden, I believe, reading yep. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like LeVar Burden's podcast, like LeVar Burden Reads or something. And it's just him reading that to you. So I've read it in both of those formats. I highly recommend it either. It's made me cry either way. Yeah, it's a great so, story. And yeah, really, and we should read more of Ken Liu's work uh, on the show. But uh, oh, we'll so keep good. going for now. Book number 55, Cold from the North, another indie published book by uh, D.W. Ross, uh, book one of the onyx born chronicles this is one of those only one of two authors that we've read kind of this norse inspired mythology and Mm. um for fans of for looking for some indie books coming out uh dw ross for sure is one to one to check out i'd say especially for all of you god of war fans and norse mythology fans it's like don't don't uh don't sleep on dw ross yeah the thing that always sticks out to me with this book is the world building. I remember I was reading it in Florida and just the way that he describes the world around him. I'm like, I'm feeling cold and I'm sitting outside. <laughs> All those chilly in, mountain in expeditions and things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it, it does really transport you there to that Norse world. Mm-hmm. So fans of that definitely can find a lot to love from cold from the north speaking of a lot but to there's love. a lot yes <laughs> there's a lot to love in one of our favorite books that we've read on here a wizard of earth sea by ursula k le guin also put her uh her mug on the mount rushmore the of, same uh, thing. <laughs> fantasy authors yeah so that's so the earth sea cycle the first one and I don't even know where to start, how to get this in a short form review, but just so much wisdom and insight provided in this uh, one of the first basically YA works ever like help create (laughs) YA as even a concept. And but Ursula K. Le Guin, she, she doesn't treat the reader like they're a child or they're young. She treats them with respect and it has so much just wisdom to gleam incredible prose and avoids trying to fall into this like epic battle way of fantasy. It's so good. Just read it's it. so it's much more reflective and meditative and it's a great, it almost reads kind of like a fable, but it's not. And um, yeah, Campfire we have a whole episode where yeah, we, we, we just read a whole, um, we did a whole podcast where we just shared quotes with each other and talked about it. And we could have easily done a whole nother episode about it too. It's just like just getting like analyzing some of her writing and just celebrating it. And uh, every time I read those quotes, I'm so impressed. And we had a whole another. I think our conversations around it are longer than the audio book probably is. So huge fans. Wizard of Red Sea. There's so many more in the Earthsea yeah. cycle, too, that we haven't read, but um, Ursula K. Le Guin, wow, like, huge trailblazer in the genre, and as just a, an author, too, and some of the best work we've read on the show, it's so well-written, and she's a fantastic author. 
She is. And another fantastic author is Martha Wells, who does the Murderbot Diaries. Mm -hmm. All Systems Red is one that we covered on this show with, I believe, fiction fans. And this is just a really uh, charming novella. It's very funny. Martha Wells has such a great voice in uh, providing... Uh, Murderbot as a character. It's uh, sort of space opera y. I wouldn't go so far as to call it sci fi necessarily. It feels yeah. kind of more space opera. Uh, but yeah, it's if you're looking for something to break a reading slump, something uh, fresh and funny, uh, this one will, will totally. Well said. I see this spot. one on our fan or our books and our fantasy pop up. Every once in a while, it's always like, how come no one told me this was so good? This book's excellent. I see that post kind of like bubble up every couple months. So it's definitely one that people read and gravitate to. This is another Hugo or winner, right? This is another awards winner. Am I speaking out of turn? I think it probably did because it would be for novella. Yeah, but right. Let's keep rolling, Let's keep Charles. Rolling. We're at like an hour mark, and we're at like 58, so we'll see how we can do here. Well, we've been talking uh, about the books for 50 minutes, so okay, we'll, we'll move out. We'll okay, John Gwynn, another Norse-inspired uh, author, big fan of the show, uh, uh, friend of the show, I'd say. We've had the privilege of collaborating with the brothers Gwynn um, multiple times. Just a really great um, family of fantasy content creators and, you know, these books involve <laughs> North mythology, North mythology influence, and big return to form for monsters and a great family dynamic, which mm. you don't see in fantasy that often. It's usually like the coming of age kid, his whole family died, and now he has to go along alone. It's like, no, this is a nuclear family here is how we kick this off. And um, very um, fun to watch that. And um, very fresh take on like a modern fantasy, like what's popular today, what are the trends that we're seeing, and I think Gwyn is uh, is ahead of that um, in terms of like characterization and storytelling and bringing monsters in and having some fun, as well as ripping your heart out. Uh, he does, he does both. Uh, I think he's famous for that yes, across his other series, especially too. in the Hunger of Gods, the yeah. second one. There's uh, <laughs> he is very willing to rip your heart out and i think gwen the number one thing that i like to get across is his ability to write battles and mm-hmm. fight scenes they feel He's a so big realistic you can tell that well. he does reenactment mm-hmm. yeah and they're really cinematic so it's awesome when those monsters get involved in fights but Charles, there's another master of reenactment coming up oh, next sure on is. this list, and that is Christian, actually written as Miles Cameron, um, his uh, pen name. Uh, he's a friend of the show. We've had him on a few times, and one of those times was to dis- discuss this book, Artifact Space, which love Artifact we Space. absolutely loved. It's like it's such an interesting uh, book. It's got incredible reviews. If you check Goodreads, it's so well received, and I believe we're finally getting the sequel uh, mm-hmm. relatively soon. But Artifact Space is uh, it's a blend of this like slice of life, life on this giant like ship, and just <laughs> people going about. Uh, how they do their day-to-day and then also these space opera elements with some of the larger battle stuff going on and it it's really interesting blend i just can't think of any other book 
like it. And Christian Cameron, uh, who writes us under Miles Cameron as a name, he is uh, it's so talented at writing uh, fights and battles too because he he's like a master of uh, that reenactment and understanding re-enactment. The medieval history and all that kind of well yeah uh, i mean they're swords which is why i said say medieval history because uh, they do fight with swords at times in artifact space so great one to check out and um yeah i'm looking hoping forward you to the next book for sure um that brings us to yeah. Uh, also, a friend of the show, we have we've had him on a bunch of times. So much fun! He's such a funny, knowledgeable guy. Oh yeah, Christian. All, like oh, when he he's so talking, you you want to be listening. So he's so much fun. And speaking of authors, we've had on the show Nicholas Eames, another one. We read Kings of the Wild not that long ago from the Band series. Bloody Rose is book two, which we're not going to count on this list because we haven't read it. But um, we'll do Kings of the Wild and. Um, this one is just so much fun. You see it on Reddit all the time and other book recommendations because it's so easy to recommend. It's like, hey, what are what if mercenaries were like rock stars and they formed bands and that was part of their notoriety and they had that like a rock band dynamic amongst the group and uh, this is taking those maybe more retired uh, band members and getting the band back together to go on an, another quest and it's full of rock and roll references it's full of humor it's full of action and nicholas eames is such a talented generous voice in the genre and we had so much fun talking to him and uh if any of what i said sounds even remotely interesting check it out um so many authors now that we've talked to coming up on this list books number 62 right. to 64 Five, we've got Robert V.S. Reddick, The Chathrin Voyage. This was a really fun read-along that we did with Blaze from Under the Radar Books and uh, with Robert V.S. Reddick himself. This series, like, Robert has proven to be an incredible writer, like, both with his prose and with the creativity of his his plotting and just the things that he comes up with in this series. I was like, how does a human being even think these things up (laughs) it's insane that he was even able to create this situation (laughs) and these worlds and the the implications involved in these things like it is wild at every single turn and dylan i know you have a lot to say about the series i'll hand it over to you to bring us home yeah this series helped create my love for fantasy as a genre and I, th- I always think of it as what bridged the gap for me between, like, I'm a fan of Game of Thrones, like A Song of Ice and Fire, to like, oh, I just really like fantasy <laughs> overall, don't I? Because uh, Robert V.S. Reck instilled that love for me with his awesome characters, with that incredible world building and plotting that was so unique. And I think, well, I gotta say, if we're, we're trying to do the books... Uh, a little bit individually, it, I want to say Red Wolf Conspiracy, great uh, start in the Ruling Sea and the River of Shadows, keep that going. But then the last one, The Night of the Swarm, has one of the most oh, yeah. interesting, satisfying, Point. and I think courageous, <laughs> courageous conclusions uh, to a series. And after Rob V.S. Reddick pulled together this uh, this whole thing with that conclusion... 
I just gained so much respect for him as a writer, even more so than from reading the previous installments. But absolutely, yeah, you've never read an ending that. like this for sure. And uh, yeah, it's really I I always say poignant, but it is really just a thought provoking hit in the feels hit in the feels kind of ending. And we've seen it actually replicated in modern fiction, guys, like big yes. budget blockbuster yes. movies. You're like, oh my god. What? There's one that we, <laughs> You'll have to read we talked about. We won't say book, which yeah. movie, but there is a movie. Uh, the, should we just say, we could say Marvel because that narrows it you down. You could say to a like billion dollar Marvel movie, movie ever. Yeah, which narrows right. it down to. Uh, yes. It still doesn't narrow it down <laughs> too much. <laughs> There's still a lot of choices. One of them uses not like the same plot elements way a later. A billion dollar one. So, a big one. Yeah. Um, right. So either way. Uh, <laughs> Either way, one one book that I hope we get a billion dollar movie <laughs> to present would be the Final Strife. Oh yeah, right. with Sara uh, Elarifi. This one is one so without, good. Yeah, Sunday Times bestseller. Yeah. This is Sunday Times bestseller. We yeah we had Sara on right before she became a Sunday Times bestseller. I'm not saying that we had anything to do with that, but, but it's you an look interesting at the situation and, of events, how they rolled out. She came on our show. She then became a bestseller. Correlation does not mean causation. But it also but doesn't not, not mean <laughs> it. Mean, it doesn't not mean it. So <laughs> it we doesn't mean it's not. Yeah. No, but uh, we know that Sara got to Sunday Times bestseller on the back of her incredible talent, uh, not on her appearance of FDF necessarily. But uh, The Final Strife is just an incredible, unique story that draws from uh, more of these like African influences. That and Arabic as well. As much right? in fantasy, Arabic. Um, that's the interesting so kind of it, yeah it's extremely we we always talk about how when we were reading this one we got the the arcs the advanced review copy for these books and we we're just reading it on kindle we couldn't see actually the page count mm. uh, because it was just like a pdf copy for it right. and it and we ended up looking up afterward I, how many pages is it, Charles? It's like 600. Uh, it's like over 600. And I looked that up and I was, I saw it. I was just shocked. And I said to Charles, I was like, uh, hey, like, did you know this book was over 600 pages? And we were both like, uh, wow, it felt like 400 because the pacing is just so fast. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, then all the po- most positive ways, it just draws you in. And before you know it, uh, you read the whole story. It, it's got some of these almost like, um, uh, I don't know if Hunger Games is the right way to put it, but you know these kind of. I see where you're going uh, with Hunger Games, where it's like there's I'm, a with like a series of events in like a trials and type yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's it's right. such awesome an interesting book. new perspective that I feel like we're getting in the fantasy genre at this you know high of notoriety, and um, you know it, it starts the book with just these these drums and like spoken word kind of way to kick off the story. And, and it's grips you from the beginning. Um, there's lots of LGBT inclusion as well in a very interesting love triangle. And our main characters dealing with like substance abuse issues, which is very interesting. Substance the magic issues, system is yeah. very interesting. And I know we, for the sake of time, we got to keep going on, but don't miss this one. And the battle drum, uh, the title was revealed just a few months ago. So we're looking forward to that highly anticipated release. Don't miss it. 
And speaking of highly anticipated releases, we've got Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive, book number 67 on our list today, The Way of Kings. Um, and then we'll also include Words of Radiance, Edge Dancer, and Oathbringer, which we're actively reading right now. Um, so those are the books we won't include. The last one, Rhythm of War, because um, we haven't talked about it on the show yet. But I will say that, um, you know, if this is like the new wheel of time, the wheel of time for the modern age, I, I, I would yeah. say, because as much as we look back on wheel of time and there's things that we can critique with a lens of looking at it from 2023, uh, all of that is kind of redone in, in Stormlight Archive and, and you get Sanderson's magnum opus, you feel like, you know, he, he's written so many bestsellers and he's one of the voices in the genre if not the voice certainly one of the leading ones even right now he's making huge moves in the industry and 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 not even just in how he writes but how he conducts his business which we all respect and um i think all of that all of his work he looks at the the way he talks about the stormlight archive is that this is my magnum opus my grand symphony like this is where i'm putting all of my (laughs) like inspiration into and you feel that with these books i'd say for sure to keep it quick (laughs) yeah sure uh i'll keep it i'll just talk about like four thousand pages of book in like (laughs) 10 seconds Uh, it's uh, epic sprawling uh, and just sanderson at his best but wouldn't recommend as like a first read for sanderson uh, if you are trying to get into him i sooner recommend like mistborn is number one emperor soul would be another great one but we did a whole book about where to start with brandon sanderson (laughs) sure we did we did a whole episode on it so anyway yeah uh i think Quality's pretty similar, I think, in the three uh, Wave Kings, where it's Radiance Oathbringer, uh, Edge Dancer is kind of novella you sneak in there in between two and book two and three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did an episode also on like if that is a must read. So um, yeah, keeping it moving. Talking about must reads, Piranesi by Susanna. One of Clark. them for me is definitely Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Uh, this one we can't say too much about this one just because like. It's one of those books where almost anything you say about it is a spoiler. Mm-hmm. But you start with this character who's kind of trying to like chronicle and do research on this house that he's in, which is kind of like a labyrinth with some like mystical stuff playing out in it. He seems to be alone except for one other person uh, who he comes into contact with. And it is just a phenomenal story so well written Mm -hmm. and it yeah and it covers some highbrow themes and it's one of my favorite releases of the last like it reminds uh, me of the martian by andy weir where it's written in like journal Mm -hmm. entries but unlike the martian which is a nasa scientist writing a journal entries and he knows what's going on like you're given these journal entries from a guy who's very like innocent and naive and although very scientific and analytical but what's not unintelligent right not unintelligent yeah what happens is you're reading a book where you have no idea what's happening or what's going on and what's true and what's not true and like you're only given facts from a very um 
I'm not biased, but very specific point of view, and they don't know what's going on fully. It's like either. an unreliable narrator, but not for the typical reasons where you typically not being think deceitful. of unreliable narrators <laughs> like they're deceitful. It's like it's not deceitful; he just, he just doesn't, doesn't exactly get what's going yeah, exactly. on, and he's trying to figure it out himself. So, so it's you're great reading to watch Moses' book, being like, unfold. "What kind? What is this book yeah. about? What am I reading?" And but it, it, it it's right. keeps you going. But it's away. such a great. It, the prose is fantastic mm-hmm. and all that. So it, speaking of. Uh, Fantastic prose. Dylan, you want to take us to our next book? Sure. And that's Among Thieves by friend of the show, MJ Kuhn. Uh, We had her on and the sequel's coming out uh, this summer, which is uh, Thick as Thieves. But Among Thieves, it's just a, a really great book for fans of like heists. Uh, MJ describes it as uh, Ocean's Eleven meets Game of Thrones. It's pretty, it's very quick paced. I gave it a five star review on Before We Go blog where you can see me writing a lot more about it, but it's really funny. It had me like cracking up at cafes and then realizing that's kind of weird and like being slightly embarrassed. So (laughs) I, yeah, great dialogue, fun characters. Uh, It's just uh, a really great great book another one that i recommend to like break a reading slump or something like that mm-hmm. um but it's inspired by the next series on I'll our say, list charles keep it going. this one's one you've grown to uh be associated oh, yes. with in your own way the first one is the lies of Locke lamora by scott lynch in the gentleman bastard sequence and this is yeah this is kind of the premier book that gets recommended if you want like a roguish like heist thieving crew type uh, book in fantasy and it's become a modern classic incredibly uh, funny the dialogue is just not like anything else you'll read in the genre and like the character work is so good charles what was your experience reading this book for the first time after (laughs) tons of people trying to get you to do that for years this is another one of those books that's kind of those flagship at the age of grim dark and subversion and things. I feel like um, Gentleman Bastard sequence is always in the top 10 at that time for fantasy and rightfully so. Some of the best cursing I've ever read in a book, <laughs> Hard Stop. It's just magical. And um, some of the best character work I've ever seen. Locke Lamora has this interesting balance and dichotomy of him where he's like, in this thieving crew but he's also got this family balance and friendship balance and you see a lot of compassion amongst people that will kill children (laughs) something like you know all of these kinds of things it's like in those in these moments of being practical and grimdark there's also these moments of being compassionate and loving and it's a weird that a book can do both but Scott Lynch does both very successfully. Get you a book that can do both. Exactly. So <laughs> we should do Red Seas Under Red Skies is the next one. And following that is The Republic of Thieves in the Gentleman Bastard sequence. And I've read these two. I would say The Lies of Locke Lamore is clearly the strongest of the three. The Red Seas Under Red Skies goes kind of more pirate on the whole thing. So if you're into that nautical fantasy, you are going to love it. It's still a great book. Uh, And then The Republic of Thieves is next up. And that's an interesting one, too. I, I do think, like, the weakest of the three, but you get some more backstory on on some really important stuff that I can't get into because it's a third book in the series. But all definitely worth reading with the Lies of Locke Lamora as, as the number okay. one well, there. We, but, we are at a 
one hour and ten minutes talking about books, uh, not including our intro there. So we got to keep. We gotta, we're <laughs> yeah, not we're quite not halfway. halfway so let's power through some of these. Dylan, you were the only one that read book number seventy-six on our list. So why don't you take it? The Priory of the Orange Tree. That was a tough one for me. It was not my favorite read, and it's it's extremely popular. And I see uh, that this by Samantha Shannon. Uh, it's this like epic 800 plus page doorstopper of a book and uh, you just gotta see this thing giant pages and all that fantastic cover but i I did find it yeah i I did find it a little bit uh plotting right that's a word for like it's a little bit slow moving for me and yeah, it was it was a little bit tough, honestly. We flesh this out more with no spoilers in a Prior of the Orange Tree review episode with uh, Hannah from Our Pod. So that's all I'll say. It, there's a lot of good moments uh, and uh, love the feminist themes and LGBTQ representation, but just not the strongest uh, for my taste. Well said. Moving but on, back that to it friend was of the show, Mark my taste. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Broken Empire yeah, Trilogy. Yeah, King of Thorns, Emperor yeah. of Thorns, and do not even think about sleeping on Road Brothers, which we're counting on this list as well. Don't you dare. Book number 80. Don't you dare. Um, so four books here. Um, wow. I mean, Prince of Thorns was definitely a trailblazer for the grimdark genre, I feel. Um, this one, shocking from the beginning. And Yorg is one of my favorite characters and one of my least likable as well when you talk about like proactivity and uh ends justify the means no one lives up to that more than yorg and that's what was fun about reading this really interesting setting that i won't get too into but um i will say that there is you know a couple different elements that are not usually commonly found in fantasy um found in these books and that just makes his world but you know mark lawrence has a really fascinating way to create worlds i think he uses a lot of his knowledge as a as a scientist to uh to develop his worlds and broken empire trilogy is no exception and then it just continues with king of thorns and emperor of thorns just a fantastic series overall tons of action if you like blood and guts shout and violence, out to yeah. <laughs> It's really dark, so I don't recommend it to everyone. I'd be, I think, something like Red Sister is one you can recommend. Uh, that More palatable if you have uh, like we'll um, do, subs- right. you know, like things around extra violence or sexual assault or things like yeah. that. Like, sure, Prince, like the Broken Empire trilogy is anyway. way edgier. I'll say, super edgy. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. Shout out to King of Thorns in particular for having one of my favorite endings <laughs> oh, yeah. in any fantasy book. But <laughs> That's we won't a great get one. into what that <laughs> ending is. And yeah, don't you skip Road Brothers. Don't even think about it. Uh, but we're gonna <laughs> yeah, but we're gonna skip over talking about that in detail. <laughs> because we gotta get to the fifth season by NK Jemison, the first in the Broken Earth series, and we'll just do the whole Broken Earth series Swept which the I, Hugos, I fellow two lane grad. Yeah. <laughs> so Yes, yes, and fellow psych, uh, uh, she's uh, practicing as a, I think, a career counselor at one point in psychology, but uh, N.K. Jemison swept the Hugo Awards for three, three, three straight years, meaning the fifth season, Obelisk Gate, and The Stone Sky all won it. No one's ever done that before, and for good reason. The, this is, like, 
this feels very strongly like capital L literature. Oh, yeah. This is the kind of thing you could easily do book clubs on and dive into the really deep themes about just like uh, systemic oppression, of course, racism as well. And uh, it is just an incredible epic sort of grimdark fantasy story in itself but you can tell the whole thing has these parallels to real life in a way that uh, are extremely thoughtfully explored so it's like it works on both those levels Mm -hmm. like if you were completely oblivious to the real world parallels you would be like oh my god this is incredible fantasy but with those there it just takes it up another notch so and i'll say it's in that first book nk jemison pulls a twist that i've never seen before i won't get into what that is but is something that is extremely interesting and, and plays with some genre tropes uh, and develops well. her like delivers her themes home even more and, and there there's a yeah. pov that's all is it second person narration where second it's like, person you yeah. are this and you are doing that and it's like wow so well written um hard to pull off and the fact that it blends into the themes of like trying to kind of broaden your um empathy and your perspective of the world and not just in the story but like i'm talking about the themes of racism and 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 uh, classism and things like that it it just builds so much when you're reading that you are uh this you are that and that's not your background at all and you're reading it and you're like wow this is captivating stuff so really incredibly well done there and um that brings us to this book that I have not read, but you have, and we've talked about it on the show, so it counts. Book number 84 is... Babel by R.F. Kuang. <laughs> this is a standalone book that's uh, taking place in a fantasy equivalent of Oxford, where Rebecca Kuang did attend to get, I believe, her master's. And she calls her love letter and her breakup letter to uh, Oxford. This is another one that gets into a lot of that capital L literature style thematic exploration of actually, uh, in a totally unique way, uh, some uh, relatively similar themes to Jemison's work that we were just talking about. I think acculturation is, is really big in this one, too. And uh, yeah, privilege is another one that's hugely explored, as well as in some ways it's like a, a takedown of uh, these really huge, uh, I guess, academic institutions, especially in England, and some like the imperialistic attitudes as well. Uh, it re it can be dense. It's a huge book. It has footnotes. It's very different from her Poppy War series, but it is incredible, and there's a reason that it was a number one New York Times bestseller this year. Mm-hmm. Charles, shall we move to Jade City? Let's do it. Book number 85, Jade City, Fonda Lee. First book of the Greenbone Saga. This was one that was highly requested from social media for us, and I can see why. It, it, it definitely pulls from, like, Japanese uh, culture, and then it also pulls from, like, your classic organized crime, especially, like, the mafia um like story elements and you take those things and you mix them together and you try and tell a story about individual identity in like a strong 
both family unit and the unit of being a family in organized crime, which is also like another family full of obligations. And it's a really interesting parallel there. Lots of great action in this. I love a good organized crime story. And Fonda Lee hits all the right beats, but successfully tells an engaging story all of her own with that as well. And um, looking forward to finishing out the Greenbone saga maybe this year, hopefully this year. Um, but we haven't read them yet, so we'll keep moving on. But saying very strong debut for the Greenbone saga and looking forward to to completing it. World Fantasy Award winner, I believe. So Rightfully. Well-deserved. If you like organized yeah. crime, you and... like kind of this Asian, modern Asian setting for a fantasy story yeah definitely urban check it fantasy out. yeah urban because there's you know cars yes. and tvs and but far from <laughs> far from urban fantasy is an absolute classic of the genre a song of ice and fire by george r, r. martin yeah. i mean it's almost weird to try to review for the sake of time books, we can power through Charles, these where do but we even start some like, of the most yeah incredible breakthrough inspiring uh, fantasy ever written like in terms of twists and plotting and like world building it's like Character. oh my god this is the best hard stop i mean for some people it's soured from the show's ending but that does not take away from how incredible these books are i think we easily forget um based on just where the, the Game of Thrones to show ended up, but man, we forget how much this took over the world by storm, like we haven't seen since um, Harry mm. Potter, which may show up very soon. But um, yeah, huge fan. I, I don't see the need to go through these books individually, other than like Game of Thrones was huge, and each book has these has its moments where you're like shocked and like beyond yeah. belief shocked. Storm of Swords. Storm of Swords. Storm of Swords, the third one. Like, I think that's Game like of Thrones and of Storm of Swords. I think are the two standouts um, because Game of Thrones has its own like poof. And then it's like you think when someone yeah. completely shocks you in book one that that they're not capable of doing it again because you're expecting it and even expecting it, you still get shocked. It's, I don't know how he does. He's the only author I've seen that's managed to do that, um, and to the degree that which he's done it is unparalleled also even compared to like a sanderlanch like martin just i don't know he's in a world all of his own he's complete oh my gosh like i can't even believe it we need to read these books soon it's been a decade since i've read them but that takes us to um the next book in the series uh not the the next book in our list book number 91 (laughs) um that is the sword of kaigen a theonite war story by ml wong um this was one that has been recommended to us countless times, um, especially in the midst of like Make Charles Cry. This was one that was recommended as a tearjerker. Um, <laughs> Not everyone knows what that is. Right, but we talked Cry. about it. We talked we about this... it um, when we talked about uh, oh, Paper Menagerie. We were trying to make Charles cry. Yeah. And we didn't. Which stemmed from Paper Menagerie. But <laughs> after that, this one was super highly recommended. I read it um, while we were on hiatus. And it reminds me a lot of um, Jade City in terms of like very similar kind of settings. But um, sort of Kaigen, the magic system is based more like elemental, like Avatar style, which kind of sells it short to compare it to we're talking the last airbender airbender. we ain't talking cameron (laughs) yeah it sells it a little short to compare to that but for the sake of time that's what it does 
And um, yeah, it's a story about war. It's a story about um, like family dynamics. The main character is kind of like uh, the matriarch in a traditional like Asian household where they don't really get as much of a voice. And even though she's an accomplished warrior, her opinions are kind of often overshadowed by um, the man of the house and all that. And then that has implications for the children and the whole um, community. So this, these ideas of community and um, the takes on feminism in here are really strong. And it's just also a tear jerking story. Another, um, mother-son dynamic in here that's very strong for whatever reason that mother-son dynamic is a real tearjerker so um real uh big fan of this one and this one won spiff this was a spiffbo winner right so um you can see why uh very well deserved um i think it was um um Oh, shoot. I'm trying to remember that what Levi Jacobs said. I think he's like, there's a reason why it won because no one could stop crying. Something I think was what Levi said yeah. about it, which is... Yeah, it was the year that Levi was the finalist as mm-hmm. well, but moving uh, on. tough one when you're lining up against the Sword of Kaigen. But that's not the only The Sword of book that you read in that, like... <laughs> Hiatus month period. <laughs> Another nope. one was the sort of Chinara, right, Charles? Yes, totally different. Whereas the sort of Kaigen's cutting edge modern, um, sort of Chinara is classic Tolkien clone old school fantasy like legitimate like yes even um even um uh the wheel of time as much as that first book was a Tolkien clone this one is even worse um but you know he Terry Brooks goes on to write many books in the sort of Shinara series and it was made into a tv show it's classic fantasy anyone who wants to brush up on the classics cannot miss Terry Brooks and um, you can see why in that book. I'll just move on here to another classic, books number 93 to 99. Uh, we're going to send off the first half with Harry Potter, um, J.K. Rowling. Interesting to talk about them in today's light. This There's an interesting conversation to be had about separating the artist from the art uh, especially around J.K. Rowling's kind of controversial right. opinions. But not one we can probably fit into this. <laughs> no, not even going to attempt to go into it other than to say... <laughs> That's its own 200-minute episode. That but I yes. would even be... The books I'm not even equipped just. to have that conversation. So <laughs> best led to someone uh, more knowledgeable than me. But I will say that these books are, you know the most successful fantasy books hard stop and so we had to, we we need to get the 200 books and here we are i love these books i'm not a you know not as much as i'm not a fan of jk rowling's opinions about other stuff i am a big fan of these books uh, as their own stories and especially those first couple are just like talk about young adult uh, fantasy magic school all of that is done so perfectly in these books and uh just the fact that it's managed to be a cultural phenomena for generations and billions of sales and all these other crazy things and, you know, huge film franchises, theme parks, and it brought fantasy to um, a popular light e- even before something like, you know, like a Game of Thrones and around the time of the Lord of the Rings movies as well. These were coming out. So um, incredible stories and some of the most iconic stories and characters of all time in these books. And I don't need to share my opinion on them. You've all read them. Let's move on 
to Lev Grossman's magicians talk about taking that like magic school mm-hmm. and kicking it up a notch. What was it George Martin said? It was like take the uh, if Harry Potter is tea, then the magicians is like a some sort of strong alcoholic beverage. I'm butchering the quote, but that's what he says. <laughs> that's the blurb on the cover of this. Is yeah, I think he was probably more eloquent than. If if Harry Potter is tea, then I guess maybe uh, the magicians is a strong alcoholic beverage of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> but the yes, it is taking some of those Harry Potter type feel of a book where you have that school setting and that group of friends and all that kind of stuff. And then we make it... Uh, uh, you know, kind of hanging around that PG-13 R rating. It was fit for TV, apparently, because they did make a TV show that we didn't love. But The Magicians totally Don't judge it by the TV explores show. The TV these show. ideas. Yeah, forget the TV show. The Magicians explores depression and, like, mental health issues in a way that I think, you know, as someone who's a doctoral student in psychology, it's probably my favorite exploration of that in the fantasy genre. Oh, I think yeah. that Quentin is my favorite depressed it. character ever. He's so well written. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> put that on the blurb. I have and the quote from George, by the way. Is... The magicians is to Harry Potter as a shot of Irish whiskey is to a glass of weak tea. Grossman's sensibilities are thoroughly adult. His narrative dark and dangerous and full of twists. Hogwarts was never like this. That's the quote. Now that is well stated. That's, <laughs> that's, that's why so. he's writing books and I'm not. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Love so, these books. Anyway, The Magicians. Yeah, fantastic books. The voice. This is one that Lev Grossman's voice is so strong. And, and you will see that. I, it almost, The Magicians, The Magician King, The Magician's Land. It's one that series where those books are kind of inseparable in my head. I just read mm. them back to back to back. and I, But all very strong and it's cool seeing the characters progress over time because it does follow enough years to really get to see that and i do really badly want to read these books on the show they're some of my favorite fantasy books we won't stop so they're on the short list to read and discuss on the show um but yeah. a book we well, have we discussed have... <laughs> there you go okay. yeah that's the... i was doing the sag charles yeah, well you, we were both doing yes. the sag right your revelation yeah. michael j sullivan like super popular like indie smash that's gone on to be traditionally originally yeah, yeah originally was self-published it got picked up but these were books that were supposed to be uh fun stories for his family i believe it was his daughter was struggling with dyslexia and he wanted to provide her something to read that would be a lot of uh, fun for her and get her into it and michael j solvin sits down and he writes the raira revelations which ended up becoming this smash hit a book that was basically designed for an audience of one has not unlike the Hobbit. audience of many <laughs> and <laughs> sure and it has uh, three books. It's Theft of Swords, Rise of Empire, Heir of Navron, and... Those have multiple these books are, within them, right? So we could have technically yeah, made this count for six, but we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. And yeah, they were each two books and then kind of got put together. And 
Theft of Swords is a fantastic start. You really get into this like epic fantasy world with different like, you know, dwarves and elves and things like that. But we're taking more modern feeling characters without moving toward this like subversion or grimdark. And uh, it's keeping with this more optimistic tone. I think it's one of those books that just like it does everything very well. It doesn't stick out in the way that it's like, oh, wow, the character writing of Joe Abercrombie or anything like that it doesn't stick out as like, oh, the fight scenes like John Gwynn. But everything is really done well. And I think that to get into Air of Navarone a little bit, he the way that he ties everything together in a satisfying way, it, it reminded me of Mistborn, actually, and, like, the way Brandon Sanderson's able oh, yeah. to take all these, uh, like, disparate plot lines and threads and just tie them up in a beautiful bow, and uh, that is what Michael J. Sullivan is able to do with this series. Well said. And oh, Royce and Adrian, duo. iconic duo. Yeah. Some of the most famous um, in fantasy Terry Pratchett, let's do this quick. We're way behind the times here. Terry Pratchett, very English, satirical comedy, uh, fantasy novels, Color of Magic. I'll be honest, I wasn't particularly a a fan, but um, I know it's the first book in a series that has captured the imaginations of many. Although they'll all say that of all the books in Discworld, although it's the first one, don't start there, which doesn't make any sense to me whatever let's move on um mort dylan you read this one um i feel similar ideas to what i've said about (laughs) color magic yeah mort is uh, it brings in the character of death and that's a very famous character in terry pratchett's work it does have some of these uh interesting like there's certain lines of dialogue that will just come up in my head there's one uh where it's like death will say like uh because it's the grim reaper basically be like there's no justice there's just us and (laughs) that is very classic uh terry pratchett i think and and mort i thought was uh the strongest uh, that i've read from pratchett because the other one we read book I don't know. Maybe Pratchett's humor is lost on us at times because yes. this like, one we, like, we read at the behest of um, fiction fans. Fiction fans. We did this as a collab on their show, and they're like, "This is the one you read." And I feel like now I've given Pratchett enough chances where I've just realized, you know what? Not for me. I get it. Don't want to take away from Pratchett as a voice in the genre. Certainly, cases to be made for putting him on them out much a more. There. A legend. But um, just ultimately, the, the the writing is is not not for me. So we'll move on. Black Company, Glenn Cook, uh, military fantasy, the grandfather of Grimdark. So if you want to go back and check that out, mm. do that for sure. This is a do not miss in terms of military fantasy and Grimdark. So super fascinating kind of breakout series there. Heroes Die, I've talked about this on multiple episodes on the show. Don't sleep on it. Great standalone, although it is part of the Acts of Cain, which went on to be multiple books. Great action in this, and the best exploration of violence as entertainment I've ever read. Um, Bridge of Birds by Matthew Barry Hugo. Uh, yeah, Matthew Well, Stover. we should mention the author. I thought Probably. I did, but... Matthew Bri- Stover. Thank you, Matthew Stover. Yeah, Check him out. I, he also I, wrote a, a lot of it's like Star Wars novelization, film. a lot of the popular... But it's also yeah. a comment on things like 80s action films, was like violence 
in entertainment. You know, so it's a really interesting yes. um, Bridge of Birds by Barry Hugart. This is part of the Chronicles of Master Lee and Number Ten Ox. Anyone who is really interested in, like, you know, again. Last Airbender Avatar comes to mind because of the way it's almost We're not talking Cameron. No, no, no Navi in <laughs> <Sorry>. this. But <laughs> um, this like if you're in a fan of these like Asian inspired characters with also a lot of humor, like when I think of um, uh, Iroh and uh, what's his name? The Suko. Suko, thank you. When I think of those two traveling, I get a lot of vibes of the masterly and the number ten ox is kind of similar. Like if you like those parts of Avatar, that those that relationship, especially early on in the Avatar show, like that's here in Bridge of Birds. Highly recommend. And that brings us to a book I have not read, book number one hundred and twelve today. Uh, Dylan, take it away. <laughs> a Natural History of Dragons, a memoir by Lady Trent. This is. It's really cool. It's sort of a scientific memoir style approach, obviously fictional memoir because it's about dragons. And it's this story of how this woman, Lady Trent, became kind of an academic who is the world's leading expert on dragons. And you usually see dragons approach as this really mythical mystical thing so uh, to put on that academic scientific lens is, is just really interesting and cool to appeal to the academic in me and it's just a really well-written interesting book in itself so uh, yeah this next one i've actually given as recommend. gifts to people and recommended but i've never read so i'll let you take it <laughs> sure fever dream by this uh Really unknown uh, author. Who, maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, maybe you've caught word of him. His name's, is it George <laughs> R. Martin? Oh, George R. R. Martin um, <laughs> is how it's pronounced. It, it, a lot of people don't realize that he wrote this book that is basically pitched as vampires on steamboats. <laughs> Very strange uh, concept and weird to think that it's written by the guy who wrote A Song of Ice and Fire, but it was, and it's a standalone book. So it's a great story. This one, actually, I think this was one that got me to cry. It is a really emotional one, and what more do you need than Vampires on Steamboats? Written by Come George R.R. Martin. And you Martin. also get to see George R.R. <laughs> Martin end something. You get to see him finish a story. So if you want to see that, you can see that in Fever Dream. And he does do a great job. It is a very satisfying conclusion. So... Awesome. Let's move forward to another book that actually has one of the most satisfying conclusions. I love the end to this one, Tigana yeah, I love by the Guy too. Gabriel K. We talked yeah, about Guy Gabriel Charles, K. One it. of the things that um, always stands out for me is his choice of setting. He always like deep dives into historical research on different areas and uses that to write his books. Tigana was all of his research done in the Mediterranean, especially like Italy. Um, and you see a lot of that influence in this story. Um, I'd be curious to come back and reread this one on the show. It's been a long time since I've read it, but at the time, like in all my research, I was like, I just want a standalone fantasy novel. And everyone said, Guy Gavrilke is the master. Tigana is one of his best. That and Al uh, Lions of Aurasan, which I've never read, but I picked up Tigana because I heard Italy, Italian, Mediterranean vibes and that sold me. And a really interesting magic system here. And this idea of a spell of that could 
make it so that you can't even say the name of a people, like to try and eradicate them that much. And so this theme of like colonialism and, and like just taking over yeah. a society and like how can you totally wipe a culture off the face of the earth? That with the unique magic system is very interesting. There's some stuff I remember being kind of weird and wild towards the middle and end of this book that I would be curious to reread to see how much I remember is, is, is true. Uh, but I do remember it being good. And uh, yeah, I think T. Yeah, Tigana. I'll just quickly say, uh, love this one. And one of the things that sticks out about it is it was written in 1990. Hmm. So that's over 30 years ago. And it feels so much more modern than that when you think about what else was coming out during mm-hmm. that time. So I think that's also one of the reasons it's such a mainstay is uh, it's it's well ahead of its time. And it, it you almost forget that when you're reading it. So, right, and his choice of setting yeah, is next super up, interesting. Under Heaven, again, this time he did heaven. a deep dive on um, Chinese history. Uh, it was around a specific dynasty, even, that he was doing all this research. And really interesting premise. It's like this guy was given a ceremonial gift from the emperor. And, you know, he's just a humble guy, right? You know, typical protagonist. But he is given an insane number of incredibly valuable war horses. And it's like, okay... Now that you've been given that big of a gift, you're almost thrust into the politics of the time, right? It's like you're too valuable to be ignored now, but you also don't have any political standing whatsoever. And just being thrown into that dynamic is super interesting. And you just get to live in Guy Gavrilke's world and his writing style. And it's always a pleasant time. And, you know, his books are pretty big, but... um it's one of those ones you can kind of get lost in. So for that, I would recommend it. There's so many great books with yep. in fantasy now, especially modern ones in, in Asian settings. And uh, this one, I think, sticks up to all of those. Um, moving us right along to another face on Mount Rushmore, for sure. Robin Hobb uh, talking about the Farseer trilogy. That's Assassin's Apprentice, Royal Assassin, and Assassin's Quest. Um, these are fantastic books. Talk about also an ending that just sticks with you forever. This one is way up there for me. Like I remember feeling like, so I don't know if hollow is the right word after reading it, but I was moved. I was impacted. And I was like, Oh my God, like this was serious. (laughs) Like this was what a thoughtful, thought provoking series. And um, Dylan, I hope to one day like have you read all of these so we can discuss them because I think there's a lot of interesting parallels to be made to King killer Chronicles. Yeah, that's what I hear. It was one of the most recommended books when we asked for Rex similar to King Killer Chronicle, which is so hard to <laughs> find similar books too. And yeah, I've only read Assassin's Apprentice, the first one so far, and I don't think it grabbed me with the intensity that some people are grabbed by this series. I read it pretty early on in my days of reading fantasy, and I was kind of I don't know. My the way I view fantasy writing has changed a lot since. So, so curious to see what it'd be like when we at some point we're going to read these right on the show. So excited for that moment and an- another series that I haven't read that I'm excited for when we get to is the Night Angel trilogy by yes. Brent Weeks and Charles you're the one who has read this trilogy I'd say if you love Mistborn like this is a natural progression and I think that's was my progression like Mistborn into Night Angel and there's 
a lot in terms of like it's the it's a hard magic system and that drives a lot of great action pieces and uh with Brent Weeks though he's not afraid to get bloody and like all the gory details all the intrigue he's a little bit edgier um than Sanderson is so definitely lives up to the grim dark title I know he's gone on to write the Lightbringer uh series which is equally, if not more, popular amongst Brent Weeks' work. But I feel like the Night Angel trilogy is the classic. And Brent Weeks is a huge gap in our <laughs> list of books that we've discussed on the show. So I'm always happy to bring them up when we can. And any fan of Grimdark needs to add this to their uh, catalog, especially the Mistborn-like, where there's hard magic that drives like really cool action scenes that's where this story really uh shines so that moves us yeah, on to book 122 when we get there we're on to yeah 122 is station 11 by emily st john mandel you might know it from the hbo series that came out uh, with the same name and yeah this book is uh, an interesting blend of sort of dystopian feel. It was written about post-pandemic in a, this was well before COVID. It was uh, interesting timing when I read it because I read it probably right before COVID and honestly did completely freak me out because <laughs> this is a pandemic that kills like 99.9% of the population right. and it, the book takes place mostly in the aftermath but kind of tells some stories about the characters beforehand and it's really the pro her prose and her voice is so strong and it's got these like slice of life elements and this optimism that you don't often see in that like dystopian genre so very different book uh and by the same author is sea of tranquility which came out very recently in 2022 and it is uh this one it it actually won the goodreads choice award uh for 2022 on mm. uh, i was gonna say on goodreads obviously on goodreads for science fiction and uh, again Emily St. John Mandel shines with her prose and her voice. There's so many great turns of phrases in this one. And it's really cool. It jumps from like different time periods beginning as far back as like the early 1900s. And then you're jumping to like a colony on the moon hundreds of years later. So uh, it's it's pretty cool. And I don't want to get too into it because of potential spoilers, but... Yeah, uh, recommend both of those, especially Station Eleven. I think is the stronger of the two. Uh, next up is Brandon Sanderson again with the Reckoners trilogy. Charles, you you haven't read this one, so I'll just keep rolling here. I read this during our hiatus. These are so much fun. That Steelheart, Firefight, and Calamity are the three books in the trilogy. It's basically if Brandon Sanderson uh, wrote, oh God, I'm I'm blanking on the, Charles, what's the name of the Amazon Prime series with the, boys? the heroes, but they're, yeah, the boys, yeah. Uh, I love so the boys. So <laughs> that's the, yeah, so I, uh, 
<laughs> I've not continued with the boys after like a certain amount of episodes into the second season, but it's basically if Brandon Sanderson wrote the boys where all these people, uh, obviously it's far less graphic because it's <laughs> being written by Brandon Sanderson who doesn't approach anything like what that show is willing to approach, but it does <laughs> no have one that larger like that idea. Show. Yes. <laughs> no, no. But the plot is extremely similar like or the premise i should say is extremely similar so if you're like oh i love the boys but i hate the <laughs> like what most of it obscene gore like <laughs> extreme violence and gore and like uh, just deviant behavior that goes on in it but i like the premise then this is definitely for you it's like a bunch of people end up getting superpowers but it, for whatever reason the they're overwhelmingly like evil and they're acting like villains and you get this group of people without powers who are trying to fight against them and our main character ends up joining that group um i read them back to back to back so i don't know how well i can break them down individually i remember them all being pretty similar quality uh and i I, as always with sanderson i really enjoyed the conclusion in calamity but yeah great great books and Next up, we've got an, another series that I read that you have not, Charles. So should I just just keep going As here? fast as you can go. We are by... so behind on sure. the time. <laughs> we've got technically 15 <laughs> We're gonna minutes have to left. Change this. <laughs> oh, so, We're going to have to change this to in 200, under 200 minutes. Well, I think I you posed the question hours. and the answer is just no. <laughs> no, we cannot. But, uh, can let's we, see how fast can we, can we do it in under two yeah. hours? We cannot. Okay, let's see. Uh, impossible times trilogy by friend show mark lawrence this is like uh, if you really love stranger things this is a great recommendation for you uh, it starts with a character who gets diagnosed with cancer and he's he's part of this like D group that's why i bring up the stranger things and but it's actually it's got an interesting balance of like it's actually a lot of fun which doesn't sound like when it's like a child gets diagnosed with cancer but it also has the it's a lot of fun has these more existential themes to it as well and also gets into time travel and mark lawrence gets to flex those scientist uh skills over cool. there or, and yeah that's one word so, kill limited wish dispel illusion awesome conclusion to this one too and dispel illusion and you get to see him kind of like get older and advance through time and all of them so recommend all three of those next up Gardens of the Moon, Steven Erickson, Malzahn, Book of the Fallen. Charles, you, that's one you have read. I've, I've, well, I've read Gardens of the Moon and I've read Deadhouse Gates. I've not read Memories yes. of Ice. Um, to to me, it's like these are the great example of epic fantasy, um, especially for those fans that love the big world, big politics, tracking stuff, looking at maps. Like, I, I think that experience. Um, is very rewarding in these. I've just found that that's just not necessarily something that keeps me invested. So I always feel like I have to do homework when I'm reading uh, Malazan. Um, but that's not to belittle Sell it. Sell it, Charles. <laughs> uh, maybe one day we'll read it on the show, but um, it, it is a lot. And I get that's the appeal of it. So I don't want to take it away um, for being that. It's just not my cup of tea. Hmm. Gardens of the Moon for me was, you know, it gets a lot of flack uh, for being very difficult to follow and get into. It was definitely that way for me at times, pretty dense, but I felt like I was following it. And then Deadhouse Gates, for whatever reason, I was, I, I, 
struggled more with that one, which a lot of people really love. And sorry, my uh, uh, the uh, beloved French bulldog Mia is breaking into the room that I'm <laughs> I recording. know. It's like, time's up. It's been so, almost two hours. Yeah, exactly. We That's the buzzer. I, Dylan, so, we got to fly through these like 30 seconds, man. Let's okay. Keep it going. Dead House Gates was weaker for me. Memories of Ice was the strongest in the series uh, that I read, but I, I haven't continued beyond that yet. Mm. So, next up, another series that honestly is kind of similar in my experience. Uh, the highly lauded uh, Jim Butcher. Dresden Files. I read the first two, Stormfront uh, and Full Moon. I hear it gets a lot better, but it just did not really grip me in the way it seems to grip other folks. It is this kind of like pulpy wizard detective guy uh, um, who yeah lives in Chicago. But right. I've read Stormfront. Uh, I, I kind of one really It was me. funny, like it was different. I could see it kicking off a whole pulp genre um but i haven't really delved into it i it's i liked it um nick martell book number 135 kingdom of liars one of our more recent episodes shout out um to a fellow long islander fellow huntington long islander as well um you could see a lot of brandon sanderson inspiration here um with the storytelling and the plotting and the setting um uh, very very strong debut and uh, can't wait to delve more into it. He just finished this trilogy, The Legend of the Mercenary King. So highly recommend fans of Sanderson. Check this one out and um, uh, you will not be upset. Now, Dylan, there's a lot of these coming up that only you have read. So I'll ask you to um, blaze through these as best as you can. Okay. My my lovely assistant Mia is, is helping me now. So Fantastic. Oh. With the power of Mia. Um Take it away with book number 136. <laughs> okay, that's City of Lies, Sam Hawk, First of the Poison Wars. This is like an Australian saying, and it's a character who's like being trained as a poisoner. It covers uh, some folks with like mental health disorders in a way that people really appreciate, and I think that was done tastefully and well. But the book, just for whatever reason, didn't grip me that much. And uh, uh, yeah, I. It's pretty much what I have to say about that, I guess. But it's well-written, I think. It just maybe wasn't for me. Next up, The Gutter Prayer, Gareth Ryder Hanrahan, uh, first of the Black Iron Legacy. This one I did really enjoy. It all takes place kind of in one city, and the city is really, like, belovedly uh, written. I think that it's another one that is a return to form, as you said earlier, for monsters. Mm. Uh, really cool, awesome monsters in this one. I do recommend that book. Okay, R.R. Verdi's The First Binding, first in the Tales of Tremaine. That one, it's like, it's so much like the Kingkiller Chronicle uh, <laughs> to the point where um, some people have been alarmed or disconcerted by it. Uh, but if you're waiting on the Kingkiller Chronicle's uh, third book, uh, then I mean, there's Tolkien clones. Can Why can't there be the Rothfuss clones? <laughs> there are this is kind of a rough fist clone and it can help fill that kinkiller size shape in your heart and next up first 15 lives of harry august by claire north this is a really cool time travel story unique in a lot of ways one of my favorite reads that we went to uh over our hiatus or that i read over hiatus and it's a character that basically every time they die they like start over 
their life with the same knowledge that they had already accumulated and yeah they play it over again next up you haven't read this either right charles elantris brandon sanderson um this is his first published novel Uh sorry mia is noisy um i don't know if you can hear that no, you can't? Really? Well, oh, maybe okay. when on your native audio you can, but Zoom is uh, filtering yeah. it out. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try to speed. get her out of here Elantris. probably. Because yeah, yeah. um, I next. <laughs> oh, she is like freaking out, Charles. You have no idea. She does this. I'm going to get her out of here. All right, yeah. so... Um, uh, the Gilded Ones by Namina Forna. I've never read this, but uh, the title sounds interesting. <laughs> the Chosen and the Beautiful. Okay, it's been removed. Uh, so, Elantris, I attempted to write a book that, I haven't read. I, I just said it sounded good. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that went well. Uh, Elantris, this is Brandon Sanderson's first book. It's still very good, but I think his weakest uh, among all his published you, novels that I've book, read. Yeah. Of course. Um, Namina Forna's The Gilded Ones, fantastic YA uh, book that it's, uh, yeah, it's a, about actually a character who, God, I, I'll just say it, it goes in a totally different direction than I was expecting. Uh, okay, Charles. It, I'm getting the speed it up from Charles yeah, let's here. Let's go. Let's so go. We're behind. We'll keep going. It's a good book. Nevo's The Chosen and the Beautiful. This is a Gatsby retelling of, um, uh, uh, actually from Jordan's perspective. That is Nick's love interest in The Great Gatsby. It's really well done. It's got magic, obviously, involved with, like, uh, deals with devils and uh, this, like, paper magic as well. And the character is, uh, yeah, really cool. Prose is very Fitzgerald-y, so amazing job there. Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. That is a really, really poignant story. Uh, it's another one I can't get into too much because of like anything really revealed about the plot is kind of a spoiler. But there's also a movie on that one that I didn't like as well as the book. Binti by Nady Okorafor. That's this... Uh, like sci-fi like it's got really like three novellas that come to form a full story and it it follows this like relatively young girl with powers uh but it is it another one that takes a very different turn to anything you could have expected she's kind of being like recruited for a school like on another planet and she comes from a very different culture than the dominant one Okay, Heir to the Empire, Timothy Zane's on. Uh, Star Wars The Thrawn Trilogy. This one's like one of the top, uh, like the top rated Star Wars novels. I don't know if you've read this, Charles. I have not, but the Thrawn Trilogy is very popular. I do know that. Actually, I don't think I've read any Star Wars novelizations. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Didn't really work that well for me. Maybe I'm just not a Star Wars... uh, novelization guy but it does pick up pick up after the original trilogy and uh tries to keep telling that story with this like thrawn as the main villain in it 
I don't know, just didn't didn't really do it for me. Um, <laughs> same with Homeland by R.A. Salvatore, The Forgotten Realms, Dark Elf Trilogy. This is like Drizzt. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but if you ever see that name, that series, it follows this dark elf. It's very Dungeons and Dragons because it's brought to you by Forgotten Realms. And it's like, dark elves are bad, but this guy, maybe he's not bad. And what happens then? <laughs> but <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. I hear that trilogy, or that trilogy. It's a really long series that's been done for many years. I hear it's great. The first one, uh, maybe wasn't my exactly my cup of tea. I think we're like entering the books that I don't think about as much and was like scraping. Well, we can more go like, buy oh, them quickly then. <laughs> let's be quick. I'm doing good. You're doing uh, great, but Will we could White's, also be fast. Uh, you okay? Will White's Traveler's Gate uh, series first first one House of Blades is uh, it's pretty good. It is. A series where kind of the character is not the chosen one. Their friend ends up being the chosen one, and character's like, "Well, I guess I gotta earn my place in history and all that." But it's it's sci-fi. It's not like fantasy-ish, and it's got portals and stuff. Cradle is also Will White. It's first two books I read, Unsold, Soulsmith. People describe this. It's like really addictive, and it's progression fantasy. Like a character keeps getting stronger and stronger, like in a video game. Uh, neither of the first two books were really getting me into it. I hear it gets even better later on, and then you're really rolling. But they're relatively short and uh, action-packed, so uh, recommend if you're looking for that. Raven's Mark Trilogy. That is Ed McDonald. I always recommend this as underrated grimdark for fans of uh, Joe Abercrombie, because uh, they, they have that sense of dry humor in addition to being pretty grimdark. Uh, great, morally great protagonist that's blackwing raven cry and crowfall all right alana the first adventure by tamora pierce that is uh the first in the song of the lioness this is like tamora pierce is kind of like a classic uh author or in the fantasy genre wrote all these like ya uh, books uh it's one of the first books to really have like a strong female protagonist uh uh, like in more modern ish fantasy and uh yeah I, I actually really enjoyed it even though it probably was written for folks a little younger than me uh, becky chambers long way to a small angry planet is up next incredible space opera really optimistic it's like a hug in the form of a space opera about a crew that is like all from different backgrounds and has to come together and kind of be a found family as they complete this like uh, uh, trip across the stars. So next up, Naomi Novik, Spinning Silver. Uh, honestly, this, this is one. not my favorite. Okay. okay. I, I gotta give a review. Uh, I said I'm curious silver. about this one, and I didn't know what you oh, were going to Oh, you're curious. I thought yeah. you said, who cares about no, this No, I said I'm curious I like, because wow, I've that's... read Uprooted, and okay. I had a you know we'll similar to feelings to yours on Spinning Silver. <laughs> it's a This is like a Rumpelstiltskin retelling. I read it because I was doing our fancies like, bingo board for... And one thing was like a retelling. I'm like, okay, Naomi Novik. I hear amazing things about her work. I don't know. This one was so hard for me to get through for whatever reason. I was pretty bored, but I had to finish because I wanted to cross off that bingo board thing. Mm. So, yeah, I think I gave this two stars on Goodreads. Sorry, Ooh. Naomi Novik, if you're out there. I mean, I don't she's doing quite okay because Uprooted won the she's Hugo Award, right? I don't know what's Spinning Silver if that won anything, but 
I think uprooted is a Hugo Award winner, and that's why I read yes. it. And I remember being like, um, kind of underwhelmed by it. It's like there's a dragon, but he's a guy in a tower, and there's this relationship that to me, like whatever. I will say there's a very interesting idea about how like the scary part of relationships where you are. Um, turn of phrase planting roots but this idea of like how it can be scary to open your life up to someone else and how that can kind of um keep you like limit your options in life but also why that's a good thing so that was interesting but the story itself wasn't for me okay next up project hail mary by andy weir this is a really phenomenal sci-fi story brought to you by the man who wrote the martian which you'll get into charles Mm. and it is a extremely strong book that is, I think, best enjoyed in the form of an audio book. But it's a protagonist. Uh, it's kind of like the Martian in the way that he's like he's got some of this knowledge. He was a teacher, and he's trying to apply it in this uh, setting where he just like finds himself on a spaceship with like his whole crew around him already like dead. So love that book. Mm-hmm. Best enjoyed, I think, in audio. Next up, Charles. I love The Martian. So funny. Um, It's told in these journals. Um, The way he balances um, like science and like growing potatoes and like trying to survive on Mars with the humor is exceptional. Um, It's a story of a guy who gets um, a bit left behind on Mars and very limited resources and is trying to figure out how to stay alive. Uh, super fascinating went on to be a blockbuster movie so uh, any fan of science fiction that hasn't checked this out is missing out on a fantastic story i'll say that okay but you don't want to miss out on rebecca roanhorse's black sun that's a really strong book it is one that i read during our hiatus i would say Great recommendation for fans of the Broken Earth trilogy. That's my super quick review for that one. Chuck Palahniuk's Fight Club. You've probably heard of the movie. It was based on a book. Uh, I actually think the movie is even stronger, but the book is still five-star read from me. And if you're like, oh, I know Fight Club, but I want to read something else by that author, you can check out Survivor, which I also threw five stars on Goodreads, I believe, and... It's like it's like Fight Club in a lot of ways. He's kind of a one-trick pony, Palinuk, but I love the one trick he does, and he does it again in Survivor. Um, different different premise with like uh, the last survivor of a cult, actually. But okay, next up, Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom by I think it's Lee Bardugo is how it's supposed to be pronounced. The Six of Crows duology. Uh, this is fun heist fantasies uh, and. Uh, you know, there's a show that incorporates these that's uh, out now. You can find on Netflix, Six of Crows. It's, I think, stronger than the second installment, but they're both definitely worth a read. Next up, we've got Abercrombie. Again, this, this is YA trilogy. I haven't read it. It is the Shattered Sea trilogy. Yeah, half a king, half the world, half a war. These are 
there it's really interesting to see Abercrombie write YA because he's he's keeping his voice, but he's losing some of the more like gruesome stuff and mm. uh, trying you know not to curse. So it's it's great. It's not as strong as the first Law stuff at all, but it, it, it they are great books. And if you're a fan of Abercrombie, looking for more, and you've read all the first Law universe, I highly recommend. Hope you want to get your preteen into Joe Abercrombie without introducing them to <laughs> more I mean, mature themes. Yeah fair <laughs> so uh half a war is a really cool ending that i've never seen anything like it before so i'll say that too okay next it's the mistborn era two books the alloy of law shadows of self the bands of mourning the lost metal i don't know if i can review them each too well individually because i they all blend into one but so um, yeah they're they're kind of more pulpy than the original Mistborn tr- trilogy. You're advancing in time where it's like uh, now you've got guns and some of these more Western aspects to it. As a series moves along, it gets more like it gets a broader scope and it actually gets more imperative that you have previous knowledge of Sanderson's Cosmere to fully appreciate it, especially the Lost Metal, which is the one that just came out uh, this last year. Okay, Skyward series, also Brandon Sanderson. Um, I really love all these books. Uh, They're uh, sci-fi, still bringing in this great, I guess it's not, eh, I'll still call it a magic system, by Sanderson. It starts with the book Skyward that is one of my favorite protagonists uh, in the all Brandon Sanderson's work. Is this the one that you like? also really like the prologue? Is that... Yeah, yeah, this has a great prologue. I almost forgot about that. Great prologue, but (laughs) it continues all the way through Starsight. Then there's these novellas that take different perspectives, uh, but are still extremely interesting. I considered those just kind of as one book here. And they're also uh, Jancy Peterson co-writes those with Sanderson. And the most recent one, Cytonic. And uh, yeah, the world just keeps expanding, or the universe just keeps expanding these books and the stories get more like abroad and they each take kind of a different approach um the girl who circumnavigated fairyland uh (laughs) that's Catherine m valenti this is like uh middle grade i believe is what they call it It, so it's for like kids Mm -hmm. and i read this also for our fantasy which was like read a middle grade novel um it's really charming and like whimsical and i do recommend this for uh like a parent trying to read it with their uh, kiddo okay next up akashia trilogy akashia the other lands the sacred band these are like we they're kind of what i was describing for rr verdi's first binding is to the king killer chronicle this series is to actually game of thrones i would say oh, okay. it's got such yeah it's got such clear parallels to characters in song of ice and fire it follows this family where the kids kind of get separated and they all go their own path kind of like the stark children um but it, it's got definitely different elements but you can just see the game of thrones influence so clearly not nearly as strong as game of thrones but uh, underrated i would say uh next up is a book that probably you can't call underrated it's kurt vonnegut's slaughterhouse <laughs> five um that, uh, it's a classic it's a classic of sci-fi interesting. great book, love book and i really enjoyed <laughs> yeah, it yeah interesting one to include what? but okay yeah i mean it's a classic for it's, sure i've never read sci-fi. it but it fits you never cool. read it. Von- mm-hmm. I, it fits 
Um, next up, Phantom Toll Booth, Norden Juster. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, that is uh, a kid, a book that I read as a little kid. I'm reading it in my profile picture on Twitter. It's like me, a little kid in sunglasses. <laughs> uh, it sparked, helped spark my love for fantasy as a child. And uh, yeah, if you've got a kiddo, then maybe it can help you do the same uh, for that. Uh, next up is M.R. Carey's The Girl with All the Gifts. This is another one I can't get into much without spoiling stuff, so I'll just say it's a uh, it's got dystopian elements. It's relatively short. It's got a great audiobook. It was Check made it into out. a movie too, right? Next up, Charles. It was. It was. Uh, Red Rising, Charles. You read Red that. Rising. Yeah, Here's this Red. one, like, obviously it's a super popular series now, but to me it kind of roved the wave of, like, the Hunger Games fame where it's a similar young adult sci-fi series of tournaments, classism, dystopian future kind of thing. Um, but what makes Red Rising a bit kind of next level for me is the exploration of, like, again, identity and, like, the amount in which the main character sacrifices to go through that fight, I think, is uh, a bit more than Katniss did. And uh, it's way more sci-fi and way more space travel uh, which is another kind of benefit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun, great action piece anyone who liked hunger games would definitely uh she gotta have to check this out and dare i say it is better than hunger games so check out red rising mm, he dared to say it dare i say and it. next up is the raven cycle by maggie maggie steve fighter raven boys the dream thieves blue blue lily lily blue it's, hard <laughs> it's a to good say title <laughs> the raven king yeah it is uh, so it's it's a YA series. I think it was it was very strong. She's one of those authors that I go right to let go. She has a really great voice. It's kind of like um, <laughs> something that's going to compare it to like the Hardy Boys, even though I've never read that. But it's <laughs> like a, a you know, it's a group of teens that are trying you've heard to the Hardy Boys. Uh, yeah, so it's a group of teens that are trying to deal with some of this like mythical stuff and there's some mystery elements to it and uh, also some romance I, I think it's all all the books are strong and next up is anthony ryan's uh, blood song this is first published novel i believe this one started as self-published as well and it's got that kind of frame story feel similar to like the King Killer Chronicle, if you're familiar, uh, where it's this legendary figure telling their story. And it's it's really, really good. I, I think it, it's a lot stronger than the later books in the series. So I would uh, this one might work well as a standalone. But anyway, the character's on his way to what they consider to be basically an execution. And he's telling his story to a chronicler. Really good. Next up, book. this is the most recent book I've read, Lost in Time by A.G. Riddle. It is a time travel story about uh, a father who, like, they live in this world near future where this, like, time machine thing has been invented, and the way they deal with, like, 
bad criminals instead of the death penalty is they just send them back to prehistoric times and this guy is falsely convicted of a, a really bad crime and he's one of the inventors of the time machine thing and then they use it to send him back to like the triassic period oh, and gosh. it's i i love this book it moves really quickly it's also Sounds got fun. like a parallel storyline yeah it's great seems kind of reckless to just send where... criminals into the past <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is relatively <laughs> reckless, but they do it. And <laughs> it's, I guess you send them back really far cool. enough where they can't mess with history, but you never know, butterfly effect situation. The idea is it creates like a parallel timeline so they can't actually do anything to mm. impact the. I see. That's how but they get is all the science worked out? Who's to say? <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? And who is to say not not i but not i will I. say that this is a fantastic new book it was nominated for goodreads uh choice but lost to sea of tranquility for science fiction and anyway parallel storyline of his daughter working in like the present day to try to like get him back and save him so next up brian mcclellan fellow podcaster mm-hmm. um with uh, He's also like primarily known for being an author, and uh, the Powder Mage trilogy is the one that most people know him for. That's Promise of Blood, the Crimson Campaign, and the Autumn Republic. Uh, really cool magic system. You can tell he's one of Brandon Sanderson's uh, former students, and you can really tell that influence in the way he writes this magic system. There's these elements of almost like new school magic, which is more like um, like being able to. Uh, use more of a hard magic system like twist bullets to follow the direction you want them to and you like have to snort this drug to make it happen versus some of this more mystical old school magic where you don't really know how it works uh like these two opposing sides play out there it's a great series it's action-packed i think promise of blood the first one is the strongest i I did think it lost a little bit of steam as it went on but still strong books Mm -hmm. next up Brian Stavely's Chronicles of the Unhewn Throne, book one, The Emperor's Blades. Uh, this is this is a good book. I like it. It's about three uh, uh, children of a, like I think, now dead monarch who kind of have to find their own way, taking a few different paths, and uh, it's, it's an entertaining read. Next up, Dan Wells, I'm Not a Serial Killer. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, it actually got made into a movie and it's by Brandon Sanderson's friend, uh, Dan Wells. They do uh, writing excuses together. He is writing a book about a character that has like these early tendencies, like a teenage character, early tendencies that might mark like he might become a serial killer in the future. And he is obsessed with serial killers. And then uh, there is like uh, this these killings going on in his hometown and he starts investigating but there's obviously these like fantasy elements to it that i won't go into detail because probably spoiler next up you've read this one and i have not charles yeah american gods by neil gaiman um this is an interesting one it reads you know neil Neil gaiman is kind of classic for writing almost these like spooky atmospheric kind of stories when you think of Sandman or Coraline or some of the other series that he's written um but American Gods is right along that vein um great book almost 
did I say already? It was almost like fever dreamy in the way he kind of writes some of the stories. Uh, it's yeah. ideas that there's new gods. Um, it's kind of funny because there's the old gods that you're familiar with, but then these new ones that humanity's created, like uh, gods of technology, this idea that we've worshipped the television by watching it so, so much that we've created a god. And like, you know, those kinds of things are super interesting in these books if you like neil gaiman it's it's a lot of fun and they made a show of out of it on showtime that i've not seen but um really well written if you like that kind of moody atmospheric world that neil gaiman is famous for creating it's uh, a, a worthy read for that alone and uh, yeah it's american gods charles we might be able to do t- 200 books in two hours and 22 minutes if we time it just right. <laughs> I've got to say 214 uh, in terms of like I started the timer when we talked about the first book. So, uh, okay, we can keep this working. We, this this might work. This might work. Just get us get us to two hours and 22 minutes. I can't tell how we'll, much of this we'll was us talking good. before we hit record, though. That's the thing. <laughs> I have no idea. I thought, oh, yeah. Well, I, but I thought you said it was two hours and 14 since the first anyway, book. Yeah. Let's pretend it's uh, it's good. Let's get to that two hours and 22 minutes. We're going to nail it. So let's see. We're up to Autonomous by Annalie Newitz. This is uh, a, uh, I think, relatively near future uh, story that is, it's got elements of like, those kind of things you're used to toying with since Blade Runner or, or uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep of oh, uh, the, yeah, like how human can AI be and all that kind of stuff. It, it's a really strong read and uh, really not like anything else that I, I can think of uh, in terms of how it goes about exploring those themes, uh, but we'll get into detail on that. Uh A.J. Austin's The Inner Land, Something Stirs. This one I read for when I was uh, judging for Spiffbo, and this was, this was a cool one. I advanced it to the next round. It's a It's got a lot of psychological elements. It's, it has this idea of this impending threat coming their way, kind of that reminded me of like White Walkers in A Song of Ice and Fire, but it's a pretty intimate personal story about uh, two characters primarily. Uh, do recommend that one. Looking for a great self-published book. Next up, Brandon Sanderson's Legion, The Many Lies of Stephen Leeds. This is one that not a lot of people talk about, but it's a cool premise. It's a character who uh, basically like perceives there to be all these they're kind of like hallucinations but not really in the way that like we'd think about them in psychology but you know bear with me these hallucinations of people uh, around him who like talk to him and interact with him but they all hold this like great knowledge each of them Hmm. and obviously no one else sees these people so when they communicate that knowledge to steve and leeds he then like can present it to other people around him so they think of him as like this super genius and he's like solving crimes and stuff but Hmm. uh, you know from the reader's perspective you're like oh he's mostly just like taking the stuff from these people around him just no one can see it okay next up is a book that uh, it's another time travel story. It actually helped inspire uh, uh, Groundhog Day, the movie, like the Bill the Bill Murray vehicle, oh, and of it 
Yeah, Ken Grimwood. And it's uh, it's actually got a similar premise to what I said earlier for Harry August, where except it came well before Harry August. And it is a character that like dies of a heart attack and then just like wakes up in their own college like body with all the <laughs> memory from before and just keeps happening over and over again and uh yeah playing with that idea and last up charles i'll let you take it book number two brian k vaughn and fiona staples yeah exactly. book number 200 yeah How many is times have a we graphic novel this? series one of these saga. days we getting around to reading it on the show but yeah saga right now the 10th volume is the most recent um and wow one of the best works of fiction hard stop in my eyes and i've said that countless times on the show yet we have never read it one day i would love to read it one day i would love to talk to brian k vaughn and fiona staples it's just like such a great modern space opera story with fantasy like intimately woven within it just a great great story incredible characters I don't know how you would adapt this to the screen, but gosh, we need to see it. It, it, it It's, uh, I don't know what else to say. Um, space opera with fantasy-esque characters and worlds. and and But at the at the center of it all, it's a story about family. And that's what really makes it, uh, yeah. really makes it sing. And uh, there you go, guys. That was 200 books in uh, two hours and 22 minutes. So... Um, I think was it well <laughs> two hours and 19 minutes and change so we uh, got to the end only a little Should bit we over talk time. about Abercrombie for three more minutes <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone was, I think we could just play that sweet sweet outro music for a couple minutes and uh, thank the people and uh, get on out of here what all you- right let's play that sweet sweet outro music then Charles all right getting it pumping now Thank you all so much. 200 books, guys. We did it. Who else but the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast would review 200 books straight on their 200th episode. And you know what? We do it entirely for the love of the game. Thank you all so much for listening. If you like what you heard today and you want to support the show even more, you can do that by chatting with us over on social media. Let us know if any of these books kind of stuck out to you in our descriptions. If there's any you'd want to add to the list, you can do that on Instagram at the FTF podcast and on Twitter at the FTF podcast with the number one on the end. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today, they loved hearing about over 200 books being discussed today and uh, they want to support the show even more than following us on social media and listening. What can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast and you can now do that over on Spotify. That's where geez, 60% of you are listening based on what I was looking at. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, But yeah. Uh, And that's just two clicks. One click for each hundred episodes that we've done. And you can provide us with that five-star rating (laughs) over at the top of of our Friends Talking Fantasy feed. Uh, And yeah, you can give us five stars that way. We appreciate it so much. You can also throw us a review on Apple Podcasts if you'd like. Uh, And yeah, I mean... You know, ratings, they're great. But you know that we do this for the love of the game. So just listening is 
more than enough. Thank you for doing that. Some of you probably 200 times. <laughs> I'm sure you're out there. So my mom. Yeah, maybe? thank you. I mean, yeah, Charles's mom. So uh, yeah, Dylan, thank you, you Charles's you, mom. You said it exactly correct. Just listening is already more than enough. 200 episodes in. Can't even believe we've got this far. And I'm looking forward to more. There's only the beginning of the new year, and we have so many exciting things coming up. And we do it just for the love of the game, and you guys listening is, is more than we could have ever hoped for. So thank you all so, so much for listening. And again, as always, for the 200th time, go forth and conquer.